Good to have you here. Three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. A lot to get to on the show. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll get the very latest with Major League Baseball as they move the deadline back to 5 o'clock today. So, uh, what, right at about two hours to go until uh, Major League's new self-imposed uh, deadline there for the lockout. We'll get you the very latest. We've got the, uh, the Sun Belt putting out some schedules, and they put it out with Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss in there. So we'll get the very latest on that from Chris Fanini from The Athletic. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you coming on. I know we chatted a few weeks back, and you said, look, the Sun Belt's kind of in an interesting spot because there was, you know, potential litigation between Conference USA and uh, Marshall, ODU, and, uh, and Southern Miss. Well, today the Sun Belt put their conference schedules out. Uh, has Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss all throughout there, and those three schools have a restraining order against Conference USA. So what can you tell us about that, that uh, they've put a restraining order against what they expect to be their soon former conference? Yeah, so Conference USA is, is trying to demand that the three schools go to arbitration with Conference USA, where essentially a third party will make a ruling, that third party could determine whether or not they stay in the conference. The three schools all went to their local courts to try to get the courts to say, no, you can't do that. And for the time being, they've won. Uh, temporary restraining orders, they're a week to two weeks long, so there will be more hearings about this pretty soon. But, you know, lawyers have told me from the beginning that local, local courts are likely to side with the schools in these issues. So they could continue to get similar orders like that, or they could have settlements and mediation and come to an agreement uh, on an exit fee, uh, an amount of money to pay to officially be out. So I guess, Chris, needless to say, uh, Sunbelt is very confident that uh, Marshall, Old Dominion, and, and Southern Miss will be in the league this fall. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah, I, I mean, the Sunbelt's always the last conference to release its schedule, and it always planned around March 1st to do it. And, you know, the, the timing of these things matter. Like, you got to book charter planes now. You got to plan your homecoming now. Like, you got to, a lot of fall football scheduling is happening now. And especially with charter planes, with the, the price of gas could go up, could, could impact the cost of that. So the Sun Belt couldn't wait, you know, much longer to, to put out a schedule. It wasn't, it wasn't going to wait until this was fully done. Uh, based on these initial court rulings, I think everybody's pretty confident they will be able to play in the Sun Belt in 2022. I mean, Chris, I mean, does Conference USA have any type of leg to stand on? Obviously, you mentioned that Sunbelt think they're confident that uh, these three new teams, I mean, uh, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Men's going to play, but if Conference USA said, look, man, they, they still they still in our conference and we're going to try to fight this thing, could it potentially derail not just their season, but maybe the entire season in the Sunbelt? Lawyers have told me that it's possible down the line, if this becomes a protracted legal fight, the Conference USA could win, but you'd have to go potentially through discovery on that, and that, would, that could be potentially embarrassing for everybody involved. The thought is that nobody really wants to do that. In, in, in the potential that Conference USA could get a ruling at some point, the football season may already be started by then. So th that's what outside lawyers have told me. Obviously, Conference USA has felt it needs to push this, uh, it said last week it was going to, you know, take this to the, the, the legal end, essentially. I don't know what that means yet. You know, we'll find out 
a week from now when, when they have the next hearing uh, on these temporary restraining orders to see if they're going to continue to fight, if they're going to continue to make demands or, or, or not. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is on a resolution. Uh, Chris, it would seem, though, that the, the bottom line is is all we're talking about now is money. Uh, like, they're, they're gone, right? I mean, you don't put out a schedule unless you feel pretty confident they're not going to have to be forced to go back. Yeah, everybody feels pretty confident. I mean, these three schools have wanted to sit down with Conference USA and come to an agreement on how much they have to pay to get out early. Conference USA just has not sat down to have that conversation. They made their announcement a couple weeks back that they're gone. They've got these initial uh, orders from the court. They feel like, in the end, they are going to be in the Sun Belt in 2022 and everyone's moving forward with that conference USA is going to have to figure out its schedule. Um, There are teams in the league that play both of them. They're going to have to rework a bit. And like I said, you can't wait too long on this stuff because you got to plan the travel now. So if conference USA is going to prepare without those schools, it's got to have that plan in place pretty soon. We have schedules now uh, on the field in the Sun Belt. How do uh, Marshall, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and uh, James Madison fit in? What do you expect out of those schools, assuming we have them all this fall? Well, I I think that East Division is incredibly strong, probably the strongest division in the group of five, maybe better than some Power Five divisions. You've got James Madison, one of the best FCS teams in there. You've got App State, Coastal, Georgia State's been solid. Georgia Southern's always pretty tough. Old Dominion made a bowl game last year. Uh, coming out of that division is going to be really, really uh, difficult, whoever, whoever comes out. James Madison is not eligible for the postseason uh, this year because it's transitioning up. But you've got two divisions now that are very, very unbalanced. Um, and you've got Louisiana, who's dominated the West, has a coaching change, has a lot of roster turnover. So both divisions could be pretty interesting to watch, but I think that the East, division with those three new teams uh, in it is going to be really strong. Chris, when you think about the somebody as a whole, as far as like their reputation, they got some of the best teams, uh, you know, uh, you know, in G5, how much does it, how much do a, do teams like Marshall, Old Dominion and our Southern Miss help, you know, add to that reputation? I mean, and they, they really fit. The Sun Belt has tried to position itself as a strong football conference. It, it, it is expanded by adding schools that have, of success and have fan bases in place. That's what App State and Georgia Southern had. Coastal Carolina was a, a really strong FCS team when it came in. Marshall has been a top group of five team for a while now. James Madison was one of the best FBS teams. Uh, Southern Miss has Southern Miss has struggled for a decade, but they've got a fan base there. They've got 80 years of success before that. So I, I think all in all, adding these teams really solidifies uh, the Sun Belt as a, a very solid upper tier group of five conference. Are they the best G5 conference or who are they competing with for that distinction in your mind? Well, if we're counting 2022, I'm still going to include the American because you got Cincinnati and Houston and Memphis and UCF uh, and SMU all up in there. But the Mountain West does not get talked about enough, but it is very strong with Boise State, Utah State, San Diego State, Fresno State. Uh, Wyoming, that, that's a really, really tough division. I'd probably put the American right, probably put the American right now just because how good Cincinnati was last year. Uh, but the Mountain West and the Sun Belt are, are right there as well. 
looking ahead, is it is it Coastal Carolina and and Louisiana as the two favorites, or uh, could it be a little more complicated than that? I, I think it's going to be tough because Coastal's got you know Grayson McCall back, but they got to replace thing around him. Uh, and it, App State, I think, has more depth. They've got they've got a, a good group of running backs. The quarterback Chase Bryce is back. They have to find new receivers as well. But I think defensively, they might be in a better spot too. I think I, I think I would probably have App State right now, maybe a slight favorite in the East. In the West, I, I guess I would go Louisiana by default, but we got to kind of see what the new team looks like. They lost, you know, they lost a lot of good players to graduation, or they transferred over to Florida and followed Billy Napier. Uh, but but the it, it may be Louisiana by default. And speaking of new teams and new coaches, I mean, uh, in our neck of the woods, Georgia Southern coach Hilton. I mean, he obviously going to have, you know, uh, a big time uh, team coming back this year. Well, how do you how do you see him uh, doing this first year? You know, it's always really difficult to evaluate teams that go from triple option based to doing something different. I mean, obviously we see the struggle that's taken for Georgia Tech over there. So uh, I, 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 it's kind of really hard to predict what Georgia Southern is going to look like. Do they have skilled players? Do they have the linemen that kind of fit more what, what, what they may be doing now under Clay Helton? How that offense is going to look different? Because when you've, when you've been built for the triple option, that's a specific kind of player. It takes time to get the new guys in there. But I think Georgia Southern's done a pretty good job with the transfer portal. They haven't lost many guys. That'll help. Chris Finney, the athletic, our guest here on 3 and Out. Chris, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks for having me. And, again, a lot going on with college football. as uh, spring practices popping up all over the place. And as uh, we mentioned there, the Sun Belt dropping its 2022 schedule. And that was kind of the, the big news out of it is that Old Dominion, Marshall, and Southern Miss were part of it. Uh, they were part of the conference schedule uh, here in 2022. As you heard Chris say, they got a temporary restraining order against Conference USA, which is good for a couple weeks. And basically, it would seem at this point, BJ and Ben, from what Chris said and just kind of the optics of it, you're in the conference schedule of the Sun Belt. The three teams told you we're not coming back. We're not doing it. To me, it all comes down to if cooler heads... How much money do the lawyers want to make with the billable hours, and what's the number? How much do you need to be paid off to just go away? And I'm trying to think back when CUSA released their schedule. They had them in there, yeah. Mm -hmm. These teams were included in that schedule. Uh, So, (laughs) technically, Mm. Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss are part of the macro CUSA schedule. They're on two schedules. And the Sunbelt schedule. And as you said, they have told Conference USA, we're done. We're we're not coming back. So, uh, I think the Sunbelt clearly... Uh, feels like they are part of the part of the league moving forward. Uh, as Chris said, the logistics have to be in place. You have to organize everything. You have to schedule everything out. You have to plan for everything. So I'm 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 with you, Kevin. I mean, Ben, I think you look at it and looks like Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss are very much in the Sun Belt for this fall. Yeah, I mean, at least for now. I mean, I didn't even know you can get. I didn't even know conference can get restraining orders against other conferences. That just I guess old adage, uh, breakups are never mutual. It's never mutual. It's one one person want to move on, other person want to stay. But if you are the if you are the schedule makers of both the Conference USA and the Summit, it's got to be the weirdest year of your profession. Like, look, Conference no. USA, they're not put them on there. Some yeah. put them on there. The ours is the one you're and, going by. And, so, and, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then we don't even, we don't even be thinking about the logistics of putting the schedule together when you talk about hey, listen, how you know uh, charter charter flights and all these different things and gas price and all this. If you are right now, Conference USA, if you are playing. You know, Old Dominion, you know, uh, uh, Southern Miss and Marshall, you're thinking, 
I guess we plan them next year. And I, mean, I mean, what are you doing if you're a CUSA team with, with, a, with a schedule? I, I, I'm calling somebody and saying, look, they obviously are not coming back. Is it easier at this point just to find somebody else? Or can we do what the ACC's done and find a mutual partner to play a non-conference conference game? Essentially, oh, the uh, North Carolina. Yeah, like Lake I mean, like, like basically, hey, we need another game. We'll just reschedule a conference game, call it a non-conference game, and uh, and and go from there. But no, this is uh, this is very interesting because, uh, as you said, they still have to play out this season in Conference USA, which they've already done in football. But you're getting ready for the conference basketball tournaments, which are obviously like conglomerate meetings of school officials and conference officials at those things, where it's like, hey, this is kind of like our little get together to celebrate. Uh, what's going on? How are you going to be hanging? You're going to be if you're Marshall Old Dominion Southern Miss. You you hanging out at those things? You're like, let's just play <laughs> and get the heck out of here. I mean, it's like then Southern Miss is hosting yeah. the conference baseball tournament coming up in the spring. Kind of the last conference group thing outside of you know uh, obviously the the College World Series that you're going to participate in, and it's at one of the schools that are leaving. And I know BJ don't think they haven't already played for this. Right? June 1, 2022, we're out. Don't think as soon as it hits midnight, those Conference USA logos are coming up and Sunbelt logos are going down on everything. Crazy. Crazy. On everything. So it's like if somehow this manages that they have to stay, but and you get to that point where they're technically out, I mean, would you play a Conference USA game on a field that has now got Sunbelt logos on it? Would you make them cover it up? I mean, this could be, get, get very interesting depending on how it plays out. But it would appear they're in the Sunbelt and – Conference USA is just going to get told, here's the amount of cash. This is what you're getting. It's been real. And that's going to be the end of it. I mean, I mean that's, that's going to be the end of it uh, at the end of the day. We've got so much to get to. Major League Baseball, long meetings into the wee early uh, hours of the morning last night, trying to get a deal done, extend the deadline to 5 p.m. today. Are we any closer? We'll get to that. Also, as BJ mentioned, the schedules are out. We'll look at Georgia Southern's schedule uh, coming up and. As uh, we heard Chris say, maybe one of the tougher division schedules in all of college football uh, out there for those participating in the Sun Belt East. We'll get to that next here. It's three and out on the Southern Pigs. This Tuesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben will get the latest with Major League Baseball. Are we or aren't we going to move forward with a season? They have a 5 p.m. imposed uh, deadline after extending that uh, in the wee early hours of the morning uh, this morning. We'll get the very latest there, but... Uh, in the interim, uh, B.J. Georgia Southern's got the schedule out. Yes, Old Dominion's on it. Yes, James Madison's on it. Yes, Marshall's on it. So uh, that's three conference games for Georgia Southern. Uh, they're on the schedule, but you really see it pick up about halfway through. Uh, really, there's not too many off weeks, uh, no pun intended, for Georgia Southern here in the, this schedule. Yeah, I think uh, opening up with Morgan State, Nebraska, UAB, Ball State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, James Madison, Old Dominion, to your point, all of those games are in consecutive order. Uh, you don't get a bye week until the end of October uh, after the Old Dominion game. And then uh, when you look at the schedule, I know uh, traditionally you have some midweek games. Georgia Southern has just one non-Saturday game. That's at Louisiana uh, in early November on a Thursday night. But, Ben, when I look at this schedule, I think the finish stands out to me. Uh, and, look, every game is going to be tough. You heard Chris talk about that. But, I think when you finish with at Louisiana, who's getting preseason top 25 attention, Marshall, uh, that should be a great matchup. And then Appalachian State in Statesboro, who Chris said may be the favorite in the Sun Belt East, maybe even over Coastal Carolina. Uh, that is going to be a heck of a finish. Now, big-time challenge, 
big-time opportunity as well, potentially to turn some heads, win some big games. Who knows? Maybe position yourself uh, in contention. Uh, but, of course, you have the early game at Nebraska. But tough schedule. I mean, really, really tough schedule at Coastal Carolina uh, to open October. But I think, Ben, when I look at this schedule for Georgia Southern, where is Georgia Southern at the end of the year in terms of their transition under Clay Helton and kind of the the – the, the team they hope to be, I would imagine, be a little bit different of a team at the end of the year than at the beginning of the year, just with the staff familiarity. But at Louisiana, Marshall, and App State, wow. It's going to take a lot of poise when you think, when you think about this season. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, BJ, when you think about the, uh, think about the uh, somebody as a whole, I mean, the, you, th- you used to think about somebody, you thought about three teams. You thought about Louisiana, thought about App, thought about Georgia, State, I mean, Georgia Southern. Now, you think about them Georgia State boys who developed a nice little rivalry. You talk about a team in Nebraska, which you know, I mean, Coach Frost and those guys, they're going to be playing with desperation. They ha- it hasn't been much to talk about. It'd be but a great got, trip, though, to go yeah, play Yeah, yeah, but they, they, got, they got to go up there. U- UAB, UAB, you know, is a different team at home. I mean, you talk about a program that, that came back around, you see how, see how well they're playing. But then, you know, at Coastal Carolina, I think you're going to learn a lot about Georgia Southern when they go up there because Coastal Carolina, I mean, what? They really, really boosted the, uh, the profile of that program the last couple of years. I mean, they might not have the same season this year, but they're still going to be a really, really good team with Grayson McCall and those guys. But I do think, BJ, you said it right. I mean, your last three games, I mean, Louisiana, Marshall, and App State. You don't really – Marshall is the is the question mark because you don't know how good or bad they're going to be. But they were a bowl team yeah, last year. Yeah, they were a bowl team last year. Louisiana, obviously, is the class right now. Uh you know, other Sun Belt. But I'm sorry. I still think everything comes through App State, regardless of what has or hasn't happened. If you could beat App State, you could be anybody. You're going to be counting healthy bodies at the end of the year. But, I, but I'm but i going to go with the first three games, BJ. I mean, you don't know. I think Morgan State could definitely be a win for you to boost, you boost uh, you know, you know, boost some momentum for you trying to go into the second at Nebraska. But then you talk about at a UAB team. It's not going to be – there are no more mulligans. This first, the, the first year head coach is saying, oh, we're going to give me – nope, nope, nope. I mean, something we talked about, too. When you talk about Coach Helton and where he was going to go, he was the first big fish to land in a new head coaching destination in, in Statesboro at Georgia Southern. Try to Jerry Bingo and getting it done. But with a big name, come with big big reputation, you're going to have to get it done in a Sun Belt that is unforgiving and out of conference UAB. Yeah, Nebraska, and, and, that could be right. guys, UAB and Ball State were both wow. bowl teams a year ago. We're, we're both And wasn't Nebraska very close? I'm, maybe I'm, yeah, I think maybe they I'm lost like five games yeah. by a touchdown or less yeah. or something crazy So like they that. might be a, a better football team than what we saw even in 2021. Uh, they did, I think they lost, like you said, they lost six or seven games. Five of them were by a touchdown or less. So they were within a play or two of being really, really good. And so they're going to get tested. I, t- to me, the stretch... Uh, of the the last six games is kind of going to tell the tale. James Madison, just because you don't know how they adjust to full schedule F, uh, FBS football. Old Dominion's been a uh, bowl team. South Alabama, then Louisiana, Marshall, App State. Potentially your three toughest conference games. I know you can make an argument about Coastal Carolina, but Marshall's been a very good program. Now they come back to a former rival back to the uh, – uh, one double A days of uh, Georgia Southern, but Louisiana Marshall App State, a heck of a way to uh, to finish uh, the schedule. But fellas, one thing that stood out to me the first time in a while, Georgia Southern. I think only one Thursday game, every other game during the week, and I think the Sun Belt. I don't know if this was on purpose or accident. Last game of the regular season, Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, you're playing your biggest rival, App State. Probably how it's going to be. That's fun. probably kind of how it should be. Uh, again, you see it at SEC, ACC level of teams playing their one of their their most hated rivals. 
uh, at the end of the season. This just so happens to now be a divisional game, much like Auburn-Alabama. You have Georgia Southern App State last week. Could it potentially, in some years, be for the right to play for the conference championship or go to the conference championship game? That could be interesting. I kind of hope that stays as it is. They're on the schedule, and you keep kind of rivalry Saturday and just expand it down in, in here to the Sun Belt. And you never know. I mean, you could have championship implications. I mean, if you're if you're Georgia Southern, that's where you expect to be, uh, regardless of what everybody else says about it. it. May take a year or two with Clay Helton, whatever. Well, that's a game where the per- potential perceived favorite uh, in in the East. I know Coastal Carolina right there. You maybe go Mountaineers or or Chanticleers, but some saying App State's the favorite. They got to come to Statesboro. So if 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 they are going to make it to the Sun Belt Championship game, they're going to have to come through Statesboro literally and figuratively. And then Georgia Southern, who knows what you could be playing for at the end of the year. But I do like kind of the SoCon feel, like you said, Kevin, at the end of the year, the uh, former rival, Marshall, the longtime rival, Appalachian State, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, Nebraska, UAB. You will have <laughs> opportunities to make a national make a national statement. You will have opportunities to win some headlines. You will have opportunities to compete and contend. Uh, I think it's a balanced schedule. I think, you know, some good games at home, some tough games on the road. I think that that Nebraska trip will be fun. And I, you better believe Nebraska knows Georgia Southern's coming to win that game. Georgia Southern's coming to play that game. So I think that's one you look you look ahead to. And, Ben, you're right about UAB, Bill Clark, uh, that program. They've been a consistent winner since coming back. Yeah. Uh, so I think that could be a big swing game for the Eagles over in Birmingham. I think I think when you think about Coach Hill and what he got an opportunity to do is, I mean, you know, I don't know how to really judge uh, first-year expectations in a team like Georgia Southern. Let's face it, I mean, Coach, Coach Lunsford did some incredible things when he was there. I mean, what, from double-digit losses to double-digit wins? I mean, you got to give him credit for that. But you know about what is it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type league, whether it's G5 or P5. I mean, South, South Alabama, the teams at the bottom of the barrel teams in the Sun Belt are still expected to go out there and compete. If you are Georgia Southern, you got to keep pace. Coastal Carolina has gotten really, really good, really, really fast. App is still App. Louisiana is still Louisiana. You still got that team up there in Atlanta that you got a nice little rivalry with. You got, to, but the out of conference is what be hurting UAB. You don't put them on the schedule, and if you do, you do not play them in Birmingham. Talking about the Ball State team that was bowl eligible. You talk BJ on Nebraska team that was scratching and clawing, losing five games as you mentioned by a touchdown or less. Marshall could be the wild card, but. If if Coach Helton supersedes the expectation and these guys are, you know, they right at 500 going into them last three games of the year, a team like App State, even if even if you're not going to be competing for a Sun Belt championship, you beat App State, that's going to boost any. Uh, that's going to give you a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stripes on the wall going into the uh, going into the uh, postseason. Or if you if you if you make a bowl game, I'm saying so. I do I do think that Coach Helton got they got a they got a big time schedule. I'm just saying, man. Look, I don't know who did the schedule for two teams in Georgia. That would be Georgia Tech and Georgia Southern. Because my goodness, I mean, these are some big time schedules, and I, hey, I, I, I like this schedule. A lot of opportunities. It is, it is. I think Coach Helton got a chance to go out there and really make some noise because he's very, very, you know, like I said, he was the first big, big fish, you know, to land uh, as far as like where he's going to land. If he can go out there and get it done, because we still don't know how that offense is going to look, they can go out there and put up some points and you know make this thing. Because you're going to know what team you are hopefully by the time you head up to Coastal Carolina. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll get the very latest with Major League Baseball. Is the lockout coming to an end, or is it just beginning? Uh, for, for more days of pain, we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Love to hear your thoughts as well. 912-342-7184. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Major League Baseball, the season... 
On the brink, of course, last night, both sides negotiated. People akined it to a baseball game of the walking back and forth of the uh, various meetings at eight, nine times. They got together last night, I think finally called it off at 2 o'clock in the morning, said we'll move the deadline back to today at 5 o'clock. A lot of the discussion today, BJ and Ben has said the talks have not been as good as they were yesterday. And, of course, in any kind of big-level negotiation, uh, you have to kind of look at both sides and say what is being put out there, much like the draft, what is being put out there, how much of this is to try to frame the argument and put public pressure on side X or side Y to get something done. So apparently the very latest is Major League Baseball is going to make its best and final offer before the 5 p.m. deadline, and many of the people who are there covering it saying it's kind of being viewed as a take it or leave it Can I offer. Stop right there and ask you, ask you yes. this because this is I've I've kind of struggled to follow the theme of this right mm-hmm. of okay December we have a lockout and then we're not really going to meet and we're going to meet but we don't like each other and we're not going to talk and we're not so just to kind of help me process this does it seem reasonable to you guys that so if you're putting your best offer at five o'clock, does that mean your previous offers were, were bad <laughs> offers? Of course I mean, they were. But, but 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 that's kind of what I don't understand about all this is we keep saying, all right, we're gonna do it at the last minute. We're gonna well, couldn't we have just done this earlier? I mean, I mean, I understand, but does it not look I I understand how back and forth and negotiations and all, all that works, but does it not kind of read a little difficult well, to say, here's our all right, all right, seriously now. Here's our best offer. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean all of the offers after that will, under no circumstance, be as good as that offer? Like, I, I don't understand I the mean, framing I, if you've of ever some of this. had a high-dollar purchase, there's a little back and forth, and at some point somebody goes, look, man, this is all I'm going to do. But does that and mean so, the previous but, 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 offers were, were, they were, were made well, no, understanding they're, they're, they're that tilted. they were... They're tilted towards, hey, this is what the players want, this is what the owners want. They're going to make it. So but this is what I'm asking, Kevin. Ben, should that not have been the case weeks ago? Oh, it should have been, and we all know that. That's why I think both sides deserve blame of that. But, Ben, what did I say before we started the show? When I saw some oh, of the, the comments, I said, I said the blame game is starting <laughs> yeah. uh, already yeah. with, you know, the owners coming out saying mm-hmm. uh, the talks haven't been as productive today. And, you know, Alex Wood, former Brave uh, Dodger, came out and said, look, what happened? They're saying our tone changed overnight. Like, we went to bed at 2 a.m., and at 10 a.m., our tone changed and all of a sudden, we can't make any more progress. He goes, obviously trying to blame it on us when a deal doesn't get done. And I think that's 100% right. But if you want to play both sides of it, which I think if you're going to discuss it, you have to, I mean, the players are going to come back and say the owners aren't negotiating in good faith either. Now, mm-hmm. I don't care whose side you fall on. Just know that when a player says something, it's obviously saying we didn't get what we want. And when an owner says something, we didn't get what we want. It's their fault. We're we're making what we consider to be a reasonable offer. I mean, okay, you look technically the lockout is because of the owners. It is. Though. I mean, let's, yes. let's, let's, let's no, 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 no. It, 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 it is. It's it not is technically. It, it is. Because, but yeah. but I think a lot of people think that at this stage, if the owners were to say, "Fine, the lockout's over. We're going to go back," that the players would say, "No, we're not. Not until." So then it would turn into, "You can't lock us out. We strike." So I, I think right now the players don't want that to happen because they can play that card of, "We want to play." They're the ones locking it out. If the roles were reversed, the owners would be saying, fellas, we, we want baseball. They're the ones refusing to work. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's in the players' court to say they won't let us in the building. Right? We, we, we want to go to spring training, but we go to spring training and the gate's locked. We can't get in. They will not let us in to work out. We can't rehab. We can't do nothing uh, with, with the team. 
I, I think you look at some of the issues where they're squabbling over. Uh, again, you're talking about the CBT. I find it concerning that if you're squabbling over the CBT at the top level, you haven't addressed the bottom level, which is really what the, where the big problem lies. You want more money for salaries. Get the owners who aren't spending it to give it to you. That I mean, that's – and again, I think we've shown with, with revenues – Major owning a major league baseball team isn't a poor financial investment, Rob Manfred, you clown. It is a situation where they are getting money. The teams, the, the Yankees and the Dodgers, both paid uh, CBT tax last year. Where do you think that money went? It went to the other teams to revenue share to help them compete. And what do those owners do? Open up the wallet, stick it in the pocket, and say, "Man, we just don't have any money. We're going to spend thirty million on our payroll." That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how, and you end up with a bad competitive product. So, <clears throat> excuse me, raising the ceiling on the CBT, you know what that tells me? Mookie Betts will get more money. You play in pinstripes, you'll get more money. You play for the Red Sox, you get more money. Maybe a few free agents on the upper hand, on the upper end teams will get more money. You play for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that could be a $35, $40 million deal getting hung, held out there. The Orioles aren't giving anybody $35 million. That's going to be their payroll for 26 dudes that you didn't address the floor. And you look at some of the situations where they're not that far apart on some things. I think the CBT in the out year, they're like $18 million apart. The rookie arbitration pool, they want $100 million. The owners are saying twenty five. Again, these are guys to get bonuses on performances before they hit arbitration, which is in the first three years of Major League Service. I don't know how many guys that actually applies to that come up at rookies and outperform their rookie status. I mean, you probably know who they are, Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto. I mean, they, they're the superstars who are, by and large, going into this lockout were getting paid before they ever even got to arbitration. So you haven't addressed that. Uh, this 14-team, 12-team playoff nonsense is another sticking point, apparently, which I, I get what owners want. We have half the teams in the NBA make the playoffs. Almost half the teams in the NFL make the playoffs. I don't get it for baseball. I, I I think, again, I get why you want it. You want more revenue, more money, but your, pay, your playoffs become worse. Look at the NBA. The first round is irrelevant for the most part. Look at the NFL. They expanded. People loved it. But by and large, it really kicked up in the later rounds. NFL, I think, might be a little outlier because people just are you know insane about football. But you can't have a first-round playoff game between, I don't know, pick two teams, and one of them is 77 wins, and the other one has 75 wins. Get out of here with that mess. You played 162 games. If you have 77 wins, you stink. You don't need to be in the playoffs. So I think some of that's a little silly. Uh, ben, I, I know you are largely on the player side in a lot of these things because as a foreign player, that makes sense. If you're the players, though, how do you play this? Do you go ahead and say, fine, cancel games on us? Are, are you willing to go that far? I think they have to be. I think this is power shift to me versus power struggle. And I think this is a big time, this is a big time disconnect when you talk about we are watching a power power shift happen in, in, in front of our eyes. It used to be a player run league was the NFL. I mean the NBA. It's 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 MLB now. Like it used to be about the teams. People go, I said, no, the Yankees aren't stored because they wear pinstripes. They store because they want a bunch of freaking World Series. But who do they have? Babe Ruth, oh, yeah, he was a bum. It's not like they didn't have some of the greatest <laughs> players ever. But think about what you just said, Kevin Juan Soto and, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, these guys. You talk about you talk about Ronald Cooney Jr. These guys are the faces of baseball. These guys are the reason why you watch. And I'm sorry, you're not just watching teams anymore. You're watching players on teams. 
Why you get Bryce Hopper all that money? Well, if I if it goes across the bottom of the screen, I just gave a guy three hundred million dollars. I'm like, the dude got to be good if he got that type of money. Out of out of the first out of the uh, MLB uh, the all MLB team, seventeen games was played in the postseason, and sixteen were by Austin Riley. So when you talk about the stars, they teams ain't even making they team. So that that expanded playoff, Kevin. Go to I'm trying to get some of these stars. These are guys we branded, but I'm telling you guys what the what the owners didn't realize was. Y'all don't understand the product is coming at you now. They used to think, oh, man, people are going to watch, man. It's all about the product on the field. No, the product is talking to you across from the table. It's no longer about the teams, super CDs play. It's not like that anymore in MLB. If you do not have a superstar on your team, why would people watch? Especially Mike Trout is cool, but guess what? Mike Trout will fizzle out because people say he don't even play in the postseason. I mean, he's still the best player in baseball, but that's who you ask. And I'm not saying he's not. People say, man, I think I think Tatis is better than him. Well, look at look at the contract. People say, well, Ronald Acuna Jr. just won a World Series, but he was hurt. I just think these owners realize real quick, the worst thing you can do is to walk to a negotiating table thinking you have something you don't have, and that is leverage. They thought they had it. They do not have it. No player wants to lose. Do, but think about this, though, Kevin. The player's got to be all in now. Dude, if y'all going to do all this, just say, we'll take it. What did you do all this for? Now, Unfortunately, you got to have some hard conversations with your teammates who don't make as much money. And, and listen, this is not billionaires versus millionaires, people. We need to get past that. People go, what if somebody makes $600,000 two years in a row? Would you think he didn't spend none of that? I'm not going to spend a dime. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to spend some of that money. But, no, this is about a power shift happening in front of these owners' eyes. Because the owners, BJ, you said something. We're going to give our best offer. No, no, no. The owners think that's the best offer. The players don't think that. Like, dude, y'all been giving some of the – so y'all been giving the worst offers ever. All of a sudden, we got it. Give y'all what you want. No, because if you give us 14 games, that mean, if, if, you give, if you give the 14 games, that's because you also that's, – that's because we're giving y'all more money league minimum. If you take back the 12 teams, I'm giving you less money. So we understand it's a power struggle. The reason why I'm on the player side is not that the owners don't make sense. The owners think that – they're they the only sense going on in the room. Like, man, what we saying is golden. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Because like you said, Kevin, what about what if I'm on a team that stinks? They don't even pay us. I'm in the big leagues. We stink because we don't pay money for good players. Guess what? I bet you that, I bet you that, uh, I bet you that team ain't in the red. I bet you that team yeah. is making money. And as soon as I get good, I'm off to another exactly. team. Which, you. I, you know. I just wish the sense of urgency that I guess we saw last night and that I, I, I guess the owners have today – I just wish it would have existed a couple of days ago. I mean, I understand yep. I, I understand that when there's a disagreement, immediately you're not going to have kind of the best offers sure. on all sides. But it seems like waiting to the last minute and then kind of taking it seriously is is hurting everybody. Apparently, uh, from Jeff Passan, uh, ESPN, there's Major League Baseball's best and final offer ahead of the 5 p.m. deadline. No changes to the CBT threshold. CBT is the competitive balance tax. Think of it as a luxury tax uh, that people have known. $220 million up to 230 in the fifth year of this CBA. $5 million increase on the pre-arbitration bonus pool. They were at 25. They went up to 30. The players at 100. Their way, their way are, I think the players maybe came down to 85, so they're still $55 million off on that. Uh, That's inc- not a compromise. An increase in, in uh, minimums, uh, minimum salary from 675 to 700000 moving up $10,000 a year, so you're – uh, final five year of the CBA, your major league minimum will be seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the end of the CBA. So that is up from uh, what they had proposed uh, earlier. I think the final 
Uh, one yesterday was about 710 would have been the fifth year uh, minimum salary. So they have come up a little bit. We'll see how the players' temperature is on that. So can I ask you guys this? Because obviously yesterday we thought we had a set of circumstances mm-hmm. that today. False hope. Yeah, that was, well, yesterday we thought there was no chance, then there was a chance, and then it got moved back. So are we to think now that if there's not an accepting of this deal by 5 o'clock, substantial games will be missed? Is that the reality, or is this does this remain fluid? We'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see how Major League Baseball responds last night. And, again, you've seen some players come out and say the commissioner and the owners floated out this flag of false hope because we kept meeting late into the night. of like, hey, we're getting somewhere, getting somewhere. Wanted us to get something done last night so they could say we got it. We say, hey, we're going to come back with a clear mind and come back to you, and now uh, we're the bad guys, uh, you know, at the end of the day. So I think you're having a, it's not us, it's them, it's not them, uh, you know, it's not us, it's them on both sides. And at the end of the day, the fans are going, work this thing out, figure it out. But it appears the, the two sides are quite far apart on some of the key stuff. I mean, DH was easy. Everybody wanted that in the game. Uh, some of this stuff was going to be playoffs, you're arguing two extra teams, which... Uh, again, I think that's a little more revenue, but you're not really at, I think that's one of those things where it's like, you're getting a little more revenue, but you're not really at, and nobody cares about the game in this, and that's the problem. But it's like, you're not really adding anything to the game by adding two teams that probably don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But there's a sticking point there. And then, of course, you get into the pre-arbitration where they want players to get paid before they get to arbitration, the minimum salaries, and, of course, uh, how much teams are allowed. I say allowed. They, there's really not a cap, but moving that, tax threshold up so that teams will be encouraged to spend more money, even though the same teams that spend money now will be the same teams that spend money in the future. You haven't addressed the floor. I don't think I've heard either side really bring up the idea of a pay floor uh, to try to push some of these guys to uh, to do it. I think if, if that were to pass, you'd be in the same situation five years from now where the same teams would be trying to lose to keep payroll down and making their one run at it uh, to try to be successful. So, I think you're far apart. I, I don't see a lot from from people that are covering it of optimism that I think MLB saying, look, this is our last best offer, and we're not going to say nothing else. And as as Ben said, are you willing to go to the Met? And apparently they are. I, I, I feel like somebody would step up for the good of the game and say, this car can't go off the cliff. But apparently they want to see how deep the ravine is uh, on this thing. And I'd say both sides because they should <clears throat> Players have to be willing to miss games, and the owners certainly have said they leaked out yesterday that they'd be willing to miss a month of games. So apparently we're trying to see how deep that ravine is before somebody blinks. We'll see, Kevin. I mean, I think the thing is, too, the one thing that's not being talked about enough, too, when you think about these type of negotiations, other leagues are watching this. Other leagues are saying, because owners represent owners, and it doesn't matter what league it is. They want to be able to say, look, man, show them what, like, what we do when it comes to negotiations. But guess what? The lockout started in December. You see how much time you had to negotiate? But we're going to give the best deal in the 5 o'clock hour? I do not believe that. Yeah. They, the, the thing that really hurt the owners the most is the players said, we're going to call you a bluff. And these boys, and these boys, they got, they got, they got, they got, they got, they drew a line in the sand. We'll see what happens, Kevin. But yes, I don't think, I think uh, you can, uh, you can prepare for the season to be delayed because these owners can't be serious with some of these offers they bring into the table. And we've got more to come. We'll obviously get the latest. Five o'clock will come right smack dab in the middle of three and out. So stay tuned for uh, for the latest from MLB. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin B.J. and Ben, a lot to get to coming up in our number two. Robbie Ross, the voice of Paulson Stadium, going to join us. We'll talk Georgia Southern football with him. We've got take three around the corner. We'll talk to uh, Rich Stiles of the Back Nine Boys. Very interesting week for Phil Mickelson. Pretty much all of his sponsors are gone, and 
Maybe one of the more popular guys on tour has become persona non grata uh, out there uh, as well. The Orlando Ledbetter will join us in the final hour of the program as well. We're talking Falcons football with him as the Combine starts this week. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're on three and out. A lot to get to. Robbie Ross will join us. Voice of Paulson Stadium as Georgia Southern puts their schedule. Has three of the four new teams on the, the schedule. And, of course, there's... We went over all the uh, restraining orders that uh, those three of those teams have against Conference USA. So we'll talk to him about that. Rich Stiles of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show will join us uh, as well here in hour number two. But first, fellas, let's take three here on three and out. I got to go a little more. I got to stall out a little more. Okay, hour two is going to be amazing. Robbie Ross, Rich Stiles will join us now. I'm glad you know what day it is. Now it is. It's Tuesday. Now we'll take three. Thank you, Cam. Cam was like, give me the signal. I'm like, what are you doing? Now we'll take three. Take one, fellas. Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft has the Jags taking NC State tackle. Ikem Ikwanu, number one overall. Whether it's him, him, God, I'm losing it today. Evan Neal or Charles Cross is offensive tackle. The right call there for BJ's beloved Jacksonville yeah, Jaguars. Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, we've had some draft pundits on who've said maybe on a big board grade, one of the edge rushers or Kyle Hamilton or, or you know, another player might be might be higher on the big board. But I think drafting is always a hybrid of best player available and, and need. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. I know you can sometimes say in a perfect world you would just get the best player, but you can't do that because you have to construct a roster. And... I think that right now, if you look at Jacksonville, and, and we, we can play a little game here, who's Jacksonville's best player? Uh, Josh Allen, not their best player. Right, so the Jaguars' best player is an edge rusher. So if you're a team with a lot of needs, and your best, one of the few needs that probably isn't as pressing is edge rusher, it probably doesn't make a ton of sense to draft an edge rusher. And again, you can love Thibodeau, Hutchinson, but those guys would be number two at their position. If you draft Aiden Hutchinson or, or Thibodeau, they are, in theory, the second best edge rusher on the roster. Josh Allen's, you know, multi-time pro bowler, almost, you know, close to an all-pro type type edge rusher, whereas an offensive tackle not only is a premium position, it directly benefits the face of the franchise in, in Trevor Lawrence, who you're hoping can be your quarterback for the next decade. Now, I think we all uh, like like Evan Neal. I think Evan Neal, what he did at Alabama, checks every box. I'm a big fan of Ike McWanu as well. Uh, I know there have been some talks that maybe he could play tackle or guard. I think tackle. I mean, what he did at NC State, he was dominant, uh, has has everything you look for. Charles Cross uh, at Mississippi State, uh, really productive there in that Mike Leach offense. I think all three guys are good. But I do think in this draft, you know, it, it – it makes sense to look at those offensive tackles, all of whom are A prospects, and say, you can make Trevor Lawrence better, you can make us better, and that's a position of need. Because whatever you do at tackle, right now you have three, you have you have two starting tackles and I guess a swing tackle. You have Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor and then Walker Little, who you drafted last year. Well, Jawan Taylor was a disappointment last season. I don't I don't know that the Jaguars are very confident right now in his future, and you have no idea what's happening with Cam Robinson. He's a free agent. Now, could you hit him with a franchise for the second straight year? Uh, do you re-sign him to a big deal? I don't know what the answer is there, but you have questions. So I think it makes sense to go with one of the tackles. I think I think it's a safe call um, because the whole thing about it is, BJ, you talk about the fact that uh, you have a lot of needs. 
you think and we and when you draft the number one, it, it is the hardest position to draft when you're not drafting a quarterback because I mean it's almost impossible for that player to to live up to that number one overall pick, uh, you know, uh, selection. But I do think uh, tackle is going to be the safest call for a team that has a lot of needs. I mean, you're going to get a holy health a healthy Travis Etienne this year. You still don't have a number one receiver, DJ Chark, kind of like. I don't know, dealing with injuries, but, I mean, Marvin Jones wasn't what they thought he was going to be coming over from Detroit. I think we're talking about a very, very young defense led by Josh Allen. I mean, you know, Chason has just been a disappointment. I don't think he's big enough to hold up. So I do think you go with tackle because you are trying to build through the draft. Your best player, not named Josh Allen, is, is you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence. You got to protect him. Cam Robinson, the reason why BJ, I think his days are over, well, you're not going to pay him, you know, starting left tackle, you know, uh, money. Like, that's what? you That's close to $20 I think million. That would be like, a year. like $100 million yeah, four years. So, so yeah, so I, I, think, I think that because you do got some salary cap space, you could probably address that position uh, in free agency. But you want to have every. The goal of any team is to be able to draft guys, develop guys, re sign those guys because. They learned. They learned the game. They they learned the pro game. You know, uh, through you know, uh, through go, going through your system. But I do think it is the right call. And I think because when you talk about a pass rusher, if you get a pass rusher, is he good enough to go out there and, lead, and have double digit sacks on a very very young defense? And he has to be you know tutored by a guy like Josh Allen, who's going into year five. I would say no. I think that you can't. You know, while you would love to have a pass rusher, you would have to have a solidified defense, which you don't. So yes, I do think tackle is the safe call. Yes, it's the safe and the right call, I think, for, for, for Jacksonville in this upcoming draft. All right, moving along, take two. Would you be in favor of a 14-team Major League Baseball playoff format? This is one of the sticking points. I think the owners want 14 teams. The players want 12 in the playoffs. Would you be in favor, though, of a 14-team playoff? No, 14 is too many. And I think part of the reason you have less of a playoff field or a smaller playoff field compared to other sports is because you play 162 games, at least uh, when when there's not a lockout. So I think that that kind of is an expanded playoff field in some respects that you have to play for, you know, half a year to determine who gets into the playoffs. I think 12 makes sense. I'm okay with – I do think there is there is merit to the idea of modest expansion because it makes – it makes for more compelling storylines down the stretch. More teams are involved. But I think there's a difference in 12-14. I think, I think normally, uh, this is generalizing, but normally when you look at a baseball season, what, Kevin, maybe four or five elite teams, maybe four or five really good teams, and then maybe two or three good teams. And then after that, there's normally a kind of a substantial drop. So I think if you start talking about the 13th or 14th team, uh, there would be scenarios where you'd be well below 500, I think, theoretically, uh, some years getting in. I don't think you want that. Some may say, what's the difference in 12 and 14? Well, I think you're right there at that kind of that line of demarcation where uh, you go from teams that should be at 500 or above just mathematically, the way it works out, to teams that won't be. So I think 12 would make sense. Uh, I would be okay with that. Again, I, I'd, I'd like to see some different teams in the playoffs. I'd like to see a little more relevancy late in seasons. I, I know you've mentioned this before, Kevin, but there are a lot of times on a August afternoon or evening where 70% of the games don't matter at all. And you don't want that in your sport, even with 162 games, for the vast majority of the games down the stretch to not matter. You know, if the, if the Mets are playing the Marlins in a four-game series most years, it doesn't matter. So I think you, you, you add a little more intrigue, you open up the door a little bit more, but no, 14 is too many. Yeah, 14 is too many because I think I think it promotes laziness. I think it promotes really, really bad baseball. I mean, Kevin, some of you are always talking about it. You get 162 opportunities. 
You telling me all of a sudden, I mean, at a certain point, if I know I'm going to be team 13 or 14, I mean, I could just say, well, look, man, I just got to make sure I'm, I'm you know, I'm a be- I'm better than team 15 to 16. It, that's a both of them, both of those teams are going to be really, really bad. And the thing is, the team 13 to 14 get a chance to go, make the playoffs. They got a chance to win it because now it's the postseason. It doesn't matter what I did to get here. I'm here, and I'm going up against a team that probably had to scratch a claw. I think. I think uh, we was looking at. Um, I think it was uh, the Padres or somebody like one of those one of those crazy divisions to where you talking about. Man, some of these divisions are really, really like tough to deal with. Pro sports is supposed to be about rewarding the best teams in the regular season to get a chance to play in the postseason. Not well, this is a numbers thing because because this is what scares me. You agree to you agree to fourteen. How soon does that become sixteen? They gonna keep trying to put teams in because they want postseason baseball. Why? Because everybody watches postseason. A lot of people don't watch regular season basketball because a lot of games. Everybody watch NBA postseason. A lot of people don't watch uh, regular season uh, college basketball. They'll watch the tournament. No. You say, I mean, we're going to be 15, 16. We don't even worry about pre-All-Star break. Well, no, I think I think it's too many. I, I, it is too many. And, I, again, I think it's one thing. It's been, we talked about this before the show. If you have 17, uh, 17 games in the NFL, okay, I might be able to allow a few more teams to get in there to allow for saying. You have 162 games. We know who's good and who's not, right? I mean, we, we know who's good and who's not after that point. I do think 12, might be, there's presently 10, by the way. I do think 12 would be an okay number, even though I think a team 11 and 12 is probably, after 162, you're probably an okay team, maybe not a team that's worthy of winning the World Series. I think some of this is also paving the way for what's been talked about, but hasn't really come up uh, during this negotiation. Maybe something that MLB knows is a pathway to more money uh, as well, and that would be adding two more teams to get to 32. That gives you 16 teams in each league. That evens things up. Oh, expansion. Oh, they've been talking about that for a while. I mean, look, every league is talking about it. I mean, the Mm -hmm. NFL, Roger Goodell is trying very hard to get teams in Mexico City and everywhere else. NBA is talking about teams over, like, they're doing. MLB has talked about for years, hey, we got 15 teams in each league. That's why interleague play had to stay. Because you can't have just an American League schedule and a National League schedule. That would leave two teams with nobody to play. So 16 teams in each league, rounds it up, nice even number, gives you two more markets to, uh, to deal with, which would mean what? More money, more revenue uh, coming into uh, to the league at the end of the day. So that's not being talked about. Uh, but I think 14 teams in the playoffs, way too much when you're talking about nearly half the league gets in the postseason. Don't need that. All right, moving along, take three. John Morant just scored 52 points last night. Where does he rank right now amongst the top players in the NBA. Superstar. I mean, absolute superstar. I think I saw something that said over the last couple of weeks he's averaging over 40 points per game. Uh, Memphis is uh, on the verge of being a top two or three seed uh, in the West. I think three or four right now. Uh, he's he he's up there. And we're having a good debate in the show meeting. How do you, you know, is it is it best kind of just if you were to do like a like a rating is it hottest because he might be the hottest player in the game I mean I, I I think right now Giannis you know right up there he might be the hottest player in the game I think in terms of just best he's played his way into the top six or seven I mean I think the uh, top 10 is a lock I mean it, that's been a lock I think right now top six seven uh top five maybe I mean I know that's tough when you start talking about LeBron and Steph and just and just the superstars who have been there but I think Top seven, I feel very, very comfortable saying uh, it's amazing what he's doing. That is not a star-studded roster in terms of you know multiple all-stars or veterans that have been on championship teams, and they are they are a threat. 
I, I, they are one of the best teams in the NBA. He is doing everything. He's dynamic, incredible to watch. Superstar, no doubt, John Morant. I, I think he is top five, BJ, because the whole thing about it is I, I go I go to what he I, I go to what he's doing in the league and what he means to his team. You're not watching Memphis if John Morant don't play for them. And the thing he, he's putting up 52 because he's gonna look, man. I got to give you everything I got. I mean, Giannis is Giannis, LeBron is LeBron, Steph is Steph. What Demar Derozan is doing right now. But the thing about it is, is certain guys make you want to watch. You're gonna watch LeBron because we've been watching LeBron forever. Steph because he got that range. Giannis because I mean, two steps. You know, I mean, two steps past uh, half court, he can dunk the freaking basketball. Job Morant is doing it for a team that you do not know nobody but him on the team. I don't know nobody else. And this kid is giving you 52 points. I always say this: if you mention amongst the superstars, you are one of them. You're not mentioning a bunch of people when you talk about Steph and LeBron. And yep, you're not doing that. I don't care how good a guy. Oh yeah, he shows flash. You know, John Morant is that dude. He's box office. He just doesn't. He plays in a small market, small market team, which is most teams in the NBA. Let's face it, man. With listen, he's all, he's already a one name superstar. People call it oh, who Ja? That's hard to do. And the thing about it is, Trey Young is still balling. Luka is still balling. Zion, whenever he decides to come back, and this is the thing: this guy's playing better than all those guys around him as far as the guys that got drafted with him. You know, so I do think when you think about what John Morant brings to the table, man, you talk about athleticism, you talk about he's not he's gonna be, he's gonna get, it's not gonna he's gonna get MVP consideration. He's not gonna win it. He's not gonna win it. But I always consider why you don't win the MVP. Look at who you play with. LeBron is averaging what, 29, 30? Something ridiculous at this age. Giannis is Giannis. You know, Joel and B. Who's the MVP favorite? I think the the Mark DeRozan, right? I mean, mean, Morant, Jaws got to be there. I mean, where where would this team be without him? Uh, But but, but what I'm saying is, BJ, listen, uh, Joel and B could be the best player in the league any day he want to be, but he's also seven feet tall. Giannis, seven feet tall. LeBron, 6'8". John Morant, 6'1", 6'2", maybe. Dominating. So when you think about what, you know, it says 6'3", 175. I mean, if that's what the internet says, he's probably 6'1", 160. You know, but but on the court, he's got to be right there leading the way. John Morant, listen, John Morant. For, I look at him. This is what makes you a superstar. Superstars, you don't have to watch them game in the game. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he plays, and I know how he plays. Most players, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he does. I just know he's tall and he can rebound. Hopefully, box out. Hopefully, John Morant dunking on. Oh my God! Listen, no anybody can. Mister, anybody can get it. You standing underneath that rim, seven feet, don't matter. He's coming at you, John Morant, man. Definitely top five. I think the country is waiting. What can Ja do in the playoffs? That's going to be incredible. That's going to be great theater. Can't wait. And again, I think his his star status will increase with a big playoff run and a big playoff push. I think you've seen that with every major star that's kind of. Trey Young became a superstar. Are you you in that? And I'm not calling him a French player. He is a great player. But in terms of like, is he in that fringe like eight, nine, ten area? And if he makes a good playoff run, all of a sudden people are like, man, he's like one of the top one or two guys in the league. And all that happened. Was his team one of the playoffs? That's it. That could be the case there with with Ja. We got more to come. Let's take three. Robbie Ross going to join us when we come back here. Three and out in the Southern Pick. BJ and Ben Sunbelt putting out schedules. Going to be a fun time there in Statesboro, the voice of Paulson Stadium. Robbie Ross joins us here on Three and Out. Robbie, obviously, uh, Conference USA be darned. Uh, Marshall, Southern Miss, Old Dominion, and uh, James Madison are in. And uh, George Southern going to see three of those guys in the first year in the Sun Belt. Yeah, um, you know, they just said, you know, we're going to go ahead and move forward and uh, be in the Sun Belt, even though Conference USA, I think they put their schedule out maybe a month ago or earlier February with those teams on their schedule. But, 
the SEC or Sunbelt East, and people are calling it the SEC West of uh, the group of five, which I'm not going to argue with, uh, looks pretty formidable. And uh, the Sunbelt East, in my opinion, may be one of the top five divisions in all of college football, Power Five and Group of Five. Robbie, when I look at this schedule, uh, my eyes immediately go to the finish where – of course, you have you know Nebraska and Coastal Carolina and Georgia State, but I look at the end of this schedule at Louisiana on a Thursday and then a couple of home games there in Paulson against Marshall, an old rival, and Appalachian State, a forever rival. Uh, how, how, how dynamic could that finish to the season be with Louisiana, Marshall, and Appalachian State, the last two coming to Statesboro? Well, the first thing I did when I looked at it was Looks like I'm going to have to rent a room in November and not really drive to Statesboro in October. But um, it's very November heavy, uh, which is good because those are some good football teams that you're going to see. And South Alabama had a pretty good squad last year there towards the end as well, and they're in the first week of November. Uh, but you said it, Marshall, a former SoCon rival, which is everybody's rival, App State, Georgia Southern, uh, probably Coastal is going to say, hey, we're their rival too, but – uh, and then uh, forever against, like you said, Appalachian State, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, if Georgia Southern can handle the early part, it's really going to make that latter portion of the schedule really, really interesting, and it's good to have those at home. Yeah, I mean, and Robin, I mean, you mentioned the early part of the, I mean, the early part of the schedule. Obviously, Morgan State first game of the year, but you got to go to Nebraska. You got to go to UAB, and then you got Ball State. I mean, we going before you go to before you go to uh, Coastal Carolina. We gonna learn a lot about this uh, Georgia Southern team. I guess really, really start the second game of the year at Nebraska, a team that's been scratching and clawing in their respective conference to get back to get bowl eligible. How much? How much is a fast start is going to be pivotal to Georgia Southern kind of uh, being able to maintain a good schedule towards the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, you know, last year uh, the non-conference was was uh, it had Arkansas, and they were top ten, I think, at the time, the second week that Georgia Southern went out there. And uh, Nebraska, it seems like that, you know, every year they you hear like the Chicago Cubs, this is their year to be back. Well, we'll see, uh, but it'd be a great win regardless of if Nebraska's back or not to go out there on the road to win that one, and UAB, uh, a good ball club, and then you got Ball State. Uh, you know, you never know what's going to get, which MAC team is going to be the team of the year. Uh, it seems like they rotate through. Uh, it may be Ball State's turn, but I think, you know, 3-1, and 2-2, two and two, and ho- hopefully nothing worse than that, but of course 4-0 and o would be great. Uh, and that those first two road games in the league on the road at Coastal and then at Georgia State, which I was kind of hoping they would move that a little bit later into the season instead of the second week in October. Um, and then another, and then you look at October 15th, James, James Madison at home. Those first three conference games are tough. Robbie Ross joining us here on 3 and Out. Robbie, one, one thing a little new uh, on the schedule here for Georgia Southern. Uh, no Thursday night game against App State. It's now the last week of the regular season. So Georgia Southern App State now falls on that big, College football rivalry weekend. How are folks uh, obviously in Statesboro going to like that late November and head to head with App State there on rivalry Saturday? Well, I, I know that, and I think that people have been clamoring for that for a long time, and we can thank COVID for, I think, the reason because in 2020, you'll remember that that game was pushed to December, I think, like 12th or something, and it was on a Saturday. And they filled up, I guess, to 25% capacity pretty quick. And the Sun Belt finally said, hey, you know, they've played it on a Wednesday. They've played it on a Thursday. They've played it 
uh, on a Saturday, maybe a few, not even a few times, but uh, a Saturday night, uh, if it's a night game, oh, mercy, look out. But anything, a Saturday, that the rivalry weekend, and, you know, it's going to be something fantastic in Statesboro. And I think maybe the Sun Belt saw what happened with BYU last year, uh, that last home game of the year on a Saturday that filled up Carlson Stadium, even though it was an out-of-conference team and BYU brought the majority of the folks. But uh, a loud, full Paulson Stadium, especially with a game that may mean something between App and Georgia Southern, would be special. Robbie, you obviously have the uh, new teams coming in, we assume, uh, from Conference USA with uh, Marshall, Old Dominion, and, and Southern Miss. Uh, Georgia Southern will play Marshall and, and Old Dominion. And you mentioned James Madison. What do you expect from, from, from the new teams? How are they going to fit? And from a competition standpoint, I mean, James Madison has obviously been a dominant FCS program. Uh, with them moving up, what, what do you expect there? Well, you just look at the schedule. I mean, and you look not 15 years ago at the schedule. You see App, you see Marshall, you see James Madison, you see Coastal Carolina. Uh, but James Madison, Marshall, and Appalachian, former, and of course Georgia Southern, there's probably about 12 to 14 FCS National Championship banners among those programs. And Coastal had some success in the FCS before they moved up. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how James Madison really, uh, early on makes the transition. If it's as successful as some of these other schools and, and Marshall's kind of bounced around. They had some success in the Mac and, and then found a home in the conference USA. I think this is probably where they would ultimately want to land and stay. And, you know, they're back in their roots, you know, down the Southern, uh, corridor with the Sun Belt, like they were in the Southern conference. Old Dominion is an interesting group, too. Uh, should be fun to see how all these teams um, handle the Sun Belt and handle the change. App State, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Georgia State. Where, where, where is Georgia Southern right now? Uh, you know, Robin, when you think about the Sun Belt, it's definitely boosted its you know, reputation over the years, especially when you're being able to add teams like Marshall and Southern Miss and so on and so forth. But where, where, do, where do the Eagles find themselves in a, in a you know, a, not arguably the best, uh, you know, G5 uh, you know, conference out there? Well, Ben, that's a good question because there's still a lot of question marks with Coach Helton coming in. Uh, what kind of offense is he going to run? What are they going to do defensively? Who's going to be the quarterback? What type of quarterback are they going to be using? Uh, I know one thing that the running back room in Statesboro is about as strong of a running back room as you're going to find in any conference in the country right now with J.D. King saying he was going to come back for one more run. It's going to be interesting to see because App State, Coastal, and to some people, Georgia State have leaped over the Eagles. And that does not sit well in Statesboro, I can promise you. So, Robbie, with uh, spring practice uh, out there, what, what are folks expecting from, from Coach Helton with, obviously, a new system? Transfer portal's been pretty good to, uh, to Georgia Southern. What are they kind of expecting to see out of the squad through the spring? I think just to kind of get familiar with the new surroundings, so to speak, of Coach Helton. To get familiar with the technicalities, the um, the verbiage of the offense, and I think we're going to see a lot more pro style and what we saw at Southern Cal, kind of Southern Cal East a little bit. And if he has the quarterback that can handle that, there may be a lot of eye formation and things that people haven't seen at Georgia Southern. I don't think there's going to be – I'm not going to say there's not going to be any option, but I would be surprised if there is uh, more than – uh, just a tad bit of option because I think Coach Helton 
wants to move away from that, and I think that is mainly what the hire was about. Robbie Ross, the voice of Paulson Stadium, our guest here on 3 and Out. Robbie, appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks much. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Will do. Robbie Ross joining us here on 3 and Out. Is that schedule put out there? And again, uh, Georgia Southern will see three of the four newest members of the Sun Belt this season. Old Dominion, Marshall, and James Madison. The only one they will not see, Southern Miss. Well, Southern Miss not eligible. I was going to say, unless they make the Sun Belt Championship. So, no, they will not see Southern Miss in 2022 as they are not eligible for the Sun Belt Championship. I was going to say real quick, I think James Madison's kind of that interesting team. Like yeah. Robbie was talking about, there's a track record of teams in the Sun Belt going from the FCS to the FBS. Yeah. Not only having success, but having immediate success. So, I'm interested to see what James Madison's going to do. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think, like I said, those those, uh, those teams definitely boost the reputation of an already – you know, a big-time conference, uh, you know, in the Sun Belt. But, hey, man, whoever did that schedule for Georgia Southern this year, Coach Helton, good luck. Make sure you have a good spring. <laughs> We've got more to come here. It's 3 and Out. We'll chat with Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, when we return. All across to have you here 3 and Out on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben will get the very latest with Major League Baseball coming up in the final hour of the program. But joining us here as he does each week on the show, talking a little golf, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Stiles joins us here on 3 and Out. Rich? Welcome. How are you? I'm doing much better than Phil Mickelson is at this I, point. I was going to say, Rich, we have seen some stories in sports about, you know, falls from grace. And uh, athletes who are on the top of the uh, the mountain kind of, uh, you know, hit the valley. But, I mean, Phil Mickelson, you could argue and, and maybe make a very, very, very good argument that behind Tiger Woods over the last 20 years, there's not been a more notorious Popular guy than Phil Mickelson behind Tiger Woods on the PGA Tour. And in a matter of about a week and a half, he's lost all his sponsors and a lot of questions about what tournaments he's even going to get to play in here moving forward. Well, that is true. I mean, there is a good Phil and a bad Phil. And currently we are seeing the bad Phil who has misspoke, uh, who has been uh, quoted and lost sponsors because of what he said. I mean, he is just in a valley at the lowest point at this point of his career, and his legacy is in jeopardy because he put himself in a situation where he was wanting to help the Saudis about three years' worth of work. Not, not a lot of that came out until recently. And in a very short period of time, he has put himself in a situation where who knows where he's going to end up or, more importantly, when he's going to come back. Rich, what has the uh, response been from fellow golfers on the PGA Tour uh, uh, to, to Phil Mickelson and, uh, and uh, what was said? Well, I think a lot of them are, are coming out um, now that they found out how much involved he was with the Saudis, um, that you've got guys like Billy Horschel who called his comments idiotic. You've got uh, Brandel Chambly, who we know Brandel is as colorful as Phil is, and, you know, Brando was just saying it was just, he said a lot of things, but bottom line is it just wasn't the best move for Phil to make. And, uh, you know, to criticize an organization, the PGA Tour, that over the course of his career he's made $800 million. And how could he call the PGA Tour greedy when he has been just equally as greedy doing things, getting sponsors to do this and do that, signing sponsorship deals, having a lot of sponsors pay a lot of money to see him play and see him win. 
Um, and for KPMG to pull their sponsorship and Callaway to put it on pause, those are pretty big sponsors and pretty big words without being said that Phil is in deep water. And Rich, how much of this has to do with the fact that you talk about these big sponsors? These are some big time brands that have a very, very diverse, you know, uh, you know, a, a set of employees, people that work for them that represent a lot of different things. And a guy like Phil, I mean, with the, obviously you're gonna put up one brand with another big brand. How much of this is obviously a perception? That, look, man, we can't we can't stand next to you right now. As great as a player as you are, we got to be able to do what's best for our brand long term. Well, I think they're looking at their own PR at this point. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know, he should be suspended. And I think that's one of the reasons why Phil is saying that he's going to take a break rather than face the uh, suspension from the PGA Tour. Uh, you know, Jay Monahan has been kind of kind of quiet as far as Phil and what might happen. But Phil taking, you know, a step back and uh, I think is, is a good move on his part. Uh, the sponsors, on the other hand, you know, he put the sponsors in a situation where uh, they really had no choice from their own PR, from their own brand, to kind of separate themselves from this until it dies down or completely separate for good from Phil Mickelson. Rich Styles joining us here on 3 and Out. So, Rich, I guess to kind of wrap it up with Phil here, a lot of you know tournaments saying he's not going to play. I guess the next biggest one is you have the Masters out there. He's a former champion, which means he gets the automatic exemption uh, to play, is there pressure there? Not that uh, Augusta has ever really cared about pressure. Is there pressure on Augusta to not have Phil play as a former champion? Well, um, I did make a call to Augusta. I, I did get to the pro shop, but that's as far as I got, and they actually hung up on me. But here's the situation. I think you've got Phil, who has been outspoken about the Saudis, and you know their reputation is is not the best based on a lot of things that, that we've heard and and uh, witnessed in the news. But here's the thing. Phil could play, but I think if he was smart, I don't think he would, even though he is a past champion. The Masters is one of those tournaments that they do not want anything pulling themselves away from the Masters. They don't want anybody, any organization. Remember oh, quite a while ago you had uh, uh, that Burke lady who was trying to get women's rights to get women members into Augusta, and they kind of blew her off. And even though she was on a corner, um, then I happened to walk by her when she was there protesting or trying to make a scene, and Augusta just kind of ignored her, made one simple statement, and moved on. I think Augusta may hopefully not have to deal with the situation because Phil may pull himself out. A couple of reporters that I've talked to think Phil will not play the Masters but we're still, you know, a little time away from that, and things may die down. We are a very forgiving society, and uh, who knows what will happen by the time the Masters comes up. Uh, Rich, Zach Johnson, a local golfer named Ryder Cup captain. Talk about that opportunity for Zach. No, it's a tremendous opportunity. and I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, you know, he's been in, uh, you know, five Ryder Cups, three as a player, a couple as a, as a co-captain. Um, you know, Zach is, is, is for Team USA. I think he'll make a great captain. I think he can relate to the players, you know, these young guys that he's been playing alongside of uh, for many years, and he's seen the way that these kids have grown up uh, and have won tournaments. Uh, and I think it, it's a tremendous opportunity for, 
for Team USA to get a guy like Zach. Uh, he's well respected. He's a good player. More importantly, he knows the personality of the players that are probably going to be on the team, which will be similar to the Ryder Cup team that uh, just won up at Whistling Straits. Um, there'll probably be a few other additions to that team, but uh, you know he's got a good base for a Ryder Cup team to have a chance to win in Europe where they haven't won for a while and to be over in Paris or actually Italy, sorry, in 2023, uh, it's just going to be a tremendous opportunity for Team USA and even more for Zach. And Rich, I mean, when you talk about all the different accomplishments you want to you want to achieve, you know, when you are a pro golfer, you want to win as many majors as you possibly can. But talk about how prestigious it is to be, you know, not just even select to be on the Ryder Cup to be it, but to be the captain of it. Oh, I mean, it's 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 just way up there. I mean, how could you, uh, you know, he's already won two majors. He's got a Masters and an Open win. Uh, so I mean, he's already been at the top on those two situations, and the win at the Open was was at St. Andrews, which was even more special. Um, so to have an opportunity to play on a Ryder Cup team is special. To have an opportunity to be a co-captain uh, is, is special. But to be able to be the Ryder Cup captain and a chance to win in Europe, um, where I'm sure it's, uh, it's going to be a battle, um, um, I mean, that's just got to be the, just the top of the world for Zach and the team. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out. Rich, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thanks for calling. And you can catch Rich Saturday and Sunday mornings, 8 a.m., right here with the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. We've got more to come here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pick. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben will get the latest with MLB coming up in just a little bit. But uh, a lot going on in college football there as well. I know uh, Art Bryles was hired by Grambling. Uh, and if you are familiar with Art Bryles, obviously uh, there's been a reason why he's been out of college football for a long, long time. He resigned, saying he did not want to be a distraction to the football team, which he certainly was. And now uh, Hugh Jackson has been met with a wave of backlash for, you know, much like Urban Meyer with the Chris Doyle, and everybody said, dude, what are you doing? Hugh Jackson, likewise, are like, do you know who Art Bryles is? Like, do you know what why he got fired from Baylor? Like, don't hire this guy, and Art Bryles now out there at Grambling. Yeah, that was that was really stunning when I saw that 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 hiring. What happened at you know Baylor just just unfathomable and 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 horrific. And you can't have Art Bryles on staff. That was that was not a good decision, needless to say, and was met rightfully so with a lot of criticism, saying, "Hey, what are you doing? How can you how can you bring?" Art Bryles on campus and on staff, and I know uh, Doug Williams uh, said, look, I, I, I can't stand for this. Uh, so this was not a good decision. You cannot have Art Bryles on campus, on 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 staff, and uh, he needed he needed to resign and, and step away. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, I, I, really, uh, I really don't understand this hire. I mean, uh, Hugh Jackson is what he's trying to do, uh, you know, trying to join the ranks of a Deion Sanders, of a, uh, you know, Eddie George, and, and so on and so forth. But, I mean, uh, Art Browse doesn't get to just show up at another place and act as if the, what happened at his previous destination didn't go down. It's, it's a slap in the face to the people that, to the, to the victims and the people that were affected at his previous school. And you just can't, what, I mean, what, what did they think? Was he just going to be on staff? Hey, who's the new guy? Wait a minute. Art Browse. As you said, with, 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 with what happened, I of, of, of all the coaches, of all the candidates, yeah. with, 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 with his background, you, you cannot have that. And, 
as you said, just just disrespectful, tone deaf, everything, and you cannot you cannot have him on staff. If Hugh Jackson, I, I know I know I read some reports. Hugh Jackson and even the uh, athletic director at uh, at Grambling Jobs might be up. You know, they, they might have to reconsider because the whole thing about it is these these decisions don't come about lightly. Out of every office recorder that was available, you call Art Browse. Art Browse, I mean, I, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. You're not going to boost your reputation. I don't care what type of offenses you you got you known for. That This was a boneheaded play. This goes back. It's not the same thing. I give you Greg Schiano, uh, what, what five or six years ago was supposed to be the head coach of Tennessee. How That's how Philip Fuller ended up being the uh, athletic director. So whatever happens, as far as like the front office people, the people making these decisions, you got to think about the players you are coaching. You got to think about his previous destination. And you got to think about the fact that, man, they are victims that was involved. And every time they see this man get a head coaching job or opportunity is a slap in the face of them. So our brows made the right decision, even though the wrong decision was made for hiring him in the first place. Again, uh, I know that when you when you make some of these, when you have guys that have been kicked out of the game, so to speak, for certain things. Again, BJ, we're all about you know people should get second chances, but I think for I think I heard Cam say this on second down. It's it's not that Art Brown should never have another job. It's just you were involved in covering up something that happened on a college campus with college students. You probably shouldn't be working around a college campus or college students, and that doesn't mean hey you can't go work somewhere else. Uh, National Football League or something, USFL, we probably can't be in that situation again where you're around college athletes and a college campus. Yeah, can't be in a leadership position on a, on, on a college campus, give, given what happened. And I think that was the crux of the, of, of the feedback. That was what everybody was saying is, hey, look at what happened at Baylor. Look at how horrific that was. And now you're going to be in a you know some semblance of a leadership position on a college campus. Yes, I think you're right. You you, you could not have that, and, and, and Ben, I agree with what you said. Uh, it was the wrong decision to hire him, but the right decision uh, for Art Bryles to step away. But uh, I know Hugh Jackson tried to tried to make a statement or, or, or say some things, but uh, Art Bryles needed to step away, needed to resign, and uh, that, that had to happen. Every single, person on a, every single person on a college or a university is somebody's child. I don't care how he or she looks. And you think that the people that are in positions of authority are supposed to be protecting those people. And you telling me the most powerful person on campus is doing the opposite? Come on now. And now he's back on campus again? No, you don't get to leave Texas and go to and go to and go to uh, Louisiana and think it's not okay. It is a slap in the face because the thing about it is, is when you talk about college campuses, you would think, you would think that the head football coach or the offensive coordinator or somebody in that position would be doing his best to make sure that he is protecting the he's and the she's of that campus. And he was doing, he was not doing that. So Hugh Jackson, look, you made a huge mistake. You're gonna have to do a lot of damage control. And if that damage control means you lose your job, then so be it, as well as the athletic director, as well as the president. Whoever approves this, this should not happen. There are certain things that should not happen. And this is one of them. Our Browse thought he was safe. No. So, so you appreciate. So, when people say, well, "What does social media do for the world today?" It puts people like this on blast and makes sure, no man, you're gonna have to listen. You might have to pay for the, You might have to pay this debt for the rest of your life, even if you're not behind bars. You should not be able to be coaching nowhere in collegiate or any 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 quote amateur sport. Go go deal with grown men. Don't deal with young, don't deal with young men trying to figure out who they are as people. No, he shouldn't have been on campus at all. We've got more to come in the final hour. We'll get the very latest on Major League Baseball and their lockout situation and. We'll just say it's not good. Rob Manfred expected to meet with the media coming up 
here at uh, at five o'clock. We'll also talk with D. Orlando Ledbetter. Had a chance to sit down with some Falcons brass ahead of the combine. Where's their head at uh, as they enter the uh, the the scouting combine this week? He'll join us in the final hour. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back here, three and out, final hour. Kevin, BJ, and Ben will hear from D. Orlando Ledbetter, who had a chance to sit down with Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot, talk some Falcons football with him ahead of the NFL Draft Combine. So he'll join us coming up in about 30 minutes or so from right now. But the latest with the Major League Baseball situation is there is no latest. The players rejected the, quote, best and last offer from the MLB owners, Rob Manfred uh, expected to chat with the media at this hour. Uh, obviously, with the lockout, nobody knows what steps are next, but we all assume that they will formally announce that we're not starting the Major League Baseball season on time and we're officially into games canceled mode. So uh, whether you believe the owners made a fair deal, whether you believe the players made a fair deal, whether you believe the owners are wrong, whether you believe the players are wrong, everybody loses uh, at this point, BJ, if you start canceling games, and that's unfortunate. Uh, at the end of the day, because you have a lot of things to celebrate about the game, but it seems like the people who run the game and own the game don't have a lot of interest in celebrating that over at the end of the day in a billion-dollar industry, what kind of amounts to uh, a, a couple of quarters. Some small, I mean, again, it's, it's big money, but it's like yeah, it's, it's, it's a grand it, scheme listen. of thing. Yeah, it, it's incredibly disappointing, and and I do say the majority of the this is the owner's fault. This is. This is a lockout. This is not a strike. This is a lockout by the owners. And I know we were going over some of the some of the numbers in terms of you know what should be correlating in terms of revenue growth based on uh, the revenue growth the, the the owners have received. And I think what the players are asking for is fair. What the players are asking for is is warranted. And you have not seen concessions made from ownership. I know their their latest best deal had some big talking about modest. Kevin had some very modest you know, give and take back uh, to the Players Association. But this is, this is I think, what Jeff Passan said on Twitter, this is a sad day for baseball, and it is. Um, I think all of us this time of year look forward to spring training, look forward to opening day. Uh, Kevin, you've talked this week about how, hey, the Atlanta Braves should be celebrating a World Series. The Atlanta Braves should be, you know, the defending champions, getting ready for the start of the season. But I think just beyond that, uh, guys are going to be in tough spots. Uh Ben, you rightfully said not everybody that that plays Major League Baseball is is Mike Trout, is is Bryce Harper. Not everybody has you know the humongous, humongous. Look, you're making good money, but not everybody has the unlimited salary, so to speak. And then you think about the people who are impacted beyond just the players when there's not baseball. You know, people that work at stadiums, people that work you know local economies, restaurants, uh, souvenir shops. I mean, uh, there's there's all kind of people who are going to be directly and indirectly negatively impacted by this and it's it, it's very difficult um you understand why the players are taking the stand that they are it's hard to understand why ownership won't be a little more i guess adaptive in terms of kevin we were talking about revenue growth that you've seen as revenue grows you would think the i guess return to the players association would 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 grow correspondingly to use that word again alongside uh, but this is this 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 hurts. I mean, well, well I mean, you can't tell if you're, if you're the owners. And again, owners are supposed to get as much as they can 
for as little money as they can. That's the nature of being an owner, right? The players are supposed to get as much. Ben has said this. Players get as much as you can while you can get it until until you can't get it anymore. And you do have a responsibility to look out for the guys after. But at the end of the day, I think anybody that says the league hasn't made any money is fooling themselves. Mm -hmm. You don't give 40 and $45 million contracts if your league is not financially doing well. They're doing well. And the fact that they couldn't move a little more uh, to come together, uh, I get the players feel like they did what they had to do. I wish both sides could work it out because at the end of the day, us on the outside, we just want games. We want to be able to consume the product that we enjoy. I I would say the same thing if it was the NBA, uh, NFL, and by and large, the NBA was on the brink of a labor dispute. They worked that out. They worked that out. We got NBA. We managed to work through that. They had the bubble. They they're, they're, they're doing just fine. They're making money. So I think at the end of the day, uh, people look at the owners and they say, listen, uh, the players aren't asking for something that's necessarily unreasonable. Do they want a greater share? Yes. Do I think the players had some missteps in there? I certainly do. Uh, because, again, I think it's short-sighted to just say we want the – and it's not even really a cap. We want the ceiling raised. Well, the problem is the floor is the same, right? So you're, you're wanting to raise the top and really – if you've watched the economics of baseball, if I raise up the luxury tax, all that means is Boston, New York, uh, Yankees and Mets, Dodgers, they're going to spend more money. Is anybody else going to spend any more money? Because that's what you're fighting for as a player, right? We want you, and by you, the 30 of you guys, to spend more money. Well, if only four or five of them do, what did you accomplish? Yeah, Mike Trout got rich. Guys going to play for the Yankees got big contracts. Did anybody in the Orioles get a better deal? Anybody on the Marlins get a better deal? Anybody with Cleveland get a better deal? Uh, Are they spending more money as a franchise? No. And so I think they did misstep a little bit on that. So it's unfortunate. We'll see what Rob Manfred has to say. My guess is games are going to start getting canceled. And it's unfortunate, as you guys know, I'm a big baseball guy, BJ and Ben, and it's unfortunate to not have the game out there that that the fans love. And you you, you can't say, despite all the contrary, baseball's dying, this Mm -hmm. and that. People were going and consuming the product. Sometimes I just want to show people just how close they are. When they, people hear people hear MLB, people hear professional athletes, and people hear that people hear the money gap. I'm, I'm about to give you the money gap. When people start saying, "Hey, man, this is millionaires versus billionaires," Kevin mentioned Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been in the MLB, probably been to the playoffs one time. Mike Trout for one game makes almost a quarter of a million dollars. You know what the guy that makes uh, the league minimum makes thirty seven hundred dollars. Think about that. One guy makes almost a quarter of a meal. Other guy makes $3,700. Now, $3,700 is a lot of money. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying that. But that $3,700 guy needs every check. But you fight, when, you talk about, when you talk about collective bargaining, it's so much that goes on. You're trying to help players that have already come through. Playing days are over. You're helping the current crop, and you're helping the future crop. But think about it. Mike Trout makes a quarter of a meal. Yeah. Mike Trout also has endorsement money. Mike Trout is also the face of baseball. And the all-MLB team last year in 2021 played a grand total of 17 postseason games with 16 coming from Austin Riley. So one guy had almost 90, 90-some percent of it. You know who wasn't on that list? Mike Trout. So I do think sometimes – I'm not coming at Mike Trout. I just think that when it comes to these owners, this is what people need to understand. Owners think they know it all because they paid for a team. Guess what? Most people that own things don't run it. The people that bought it do not run it. So, I mean, you, I mean, 
and you and people start and like you said, Kevin. I mean, what I got to do? I got to play for the Yankees. I got to play for the Red Sox to get my money because if you are most of the th- most of the thirty teams in MLB pay the least amount of money to, and they still make it at least a million dollars a game, bare minimum. They they not operating in the red. So what people say with well, the, the owner just gave their best offer. No, what's a good offer to an owner has nothing to do to the product. The product of baseball is baseball. Anybody said with well, a business, no. If the product tells you that ain't good enough, that ain't good enough. Well, and, I mean, and, and again, I, I I look at and again, I players what they're asking for 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 all of us. Yeah, it's a lot of money. We got a comment from uh, from Roy on uh, Facebook. Watchers on stream. Stop with the full guaranteed money for players. More performance space. I'm with the owners on this one. I understand that stance, Roy, where you say, hey, fully guaranteed, I break my leg, I can't play no more, I'm getting all that money. I understand that take to extent. I think what the players would argue is owners aren't paying them for performance, i.e. Ronald Acuna. I mean, if the Braves wanted to, and I think the Braves are an example of where it worked somewhat in the right direction, but most teams don't do this, they didn't have to give him a contract. He could have played for that major league minimum, despite the fact he's out there trying to go 40-40. Are they paying for performance? No, they're not. And that's what the players are trying to argue. It's like, we have to get paid guaranteed money after we've performed to make up for when you wouldn't pay us when we were performing. And that's what part of the arbitration bonus pool and all that they're arguing about. Also arguing for major league minimums for veterans. And I think they're trying to make sure that the mid-level guys who are performing, they can get a contract worthy of their performance. Because you see guys like Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall, probably a guy that, in earlier years, would have made seven, eight million dollars. I think the Braves had him for what a million or two million bucks last couple of years, and he's a guy that was leading the National League in home runs. Was he getting paid for performance? Uh, I, I don't think they. And, and so I think that's what the players are arguing on some of these cases uh, in terms of you need to come up and pay more. They didn't address, and I said that right. They didn't address the floor because you can't have the Yankees spend one hundred eighty million, two hundred million. And a team on the other end yeah, spent thirty million. Here's the point million. about that, that too. That you can't do. Here's the point about that too. If you have, and I mean, I don't know, I don't know in front of me here, but if you have 10, 12 teams in baseball that are basically not well, trying, okay, right? But and, 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 in terms of in, in terms of revenue and, and and contracts, they're either rebuilding or whatever they're doing, and there is no floor, so they're allowed to do that to the lowest extent. That impacts every player on the roster. So you might say, well, the Yankees and Red Sox and Cardinals and you know Angels, whoever. Those, those teams are spending a lot of money. Well, there are only so many roster spots on teams like that, right? Like every team has, what, 25, 26 players. And if you're not one of the 26 players on the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cardinals or the Angels or the Cubs, like you said, Ben, it kind of doesn't matter how good you are, right? If, if, if you're going to fill a roster spot for some of these teams that are trying to maximize profits to the, to the extent of not spending money on their roster – Kevin, didn't you say that there were a couple of teams that had total salaries less than twenty-five or thirty million? I think last year the lowest salary in baseball was uh, for a, a team. I think the Baltimore Orioles were at thirty-seven million. Yeah, so, so that's less than one player yeah. makes on quite a few other teams. You can't and that's compete everybody, doing that. that. That's everybody on the roster. Not only yeah. are you not trying to win and can you not compete, but you talk about giving the players their money. Every team has good players. Okay, mm-hmm. every team has guys that are producing. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a two eighty season. And Maybe it's twenty-five home runs. You're not getting paid if you're on one of those teams. Yeah, but 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 even but even going back to that, I just think sometimes too. Think about this. I work my whole life. Look, look, look. If if I if if I came from money, right, and I and I was able to you know invest right, and I got to the biggest, I can go. I can afford to go buy a team, right? That's investment. It took you a whole life to get to the majors. 
How many guys spend their whole life in the mine? They never get called up. Never. So I finally get here, and because I go to a bad franchise, I am performing, right? But because the team spins a certain way, I don't get my money. That is yeah. not fair. That is not that is not fair to the player at all. But I just think that you know that's a that's just a part of it. It's always bigger conversations to be had. But I think that's just one big one. All right, uh, just some of the latest from Rob Manfred, who is addressing the media. He came out and said both sides are to blame for not getting a deal done. Of course, you would say that when usually your side is the Absolutely. one that is not Absolutely. going to uh, not going to budge. And I will say the last couple back and forth, the owners were not moving uh, very much. The players did move a little bit. Uh, back towards the owner's direction on some things, but he said both sides are to blame for the deal, and so what's next? The calendar dictates we're not going to be able to play the first two series of the regular season, and those those games are officially canceled. So the first two series, basically the first week of the, seri- of the season, officially canceled, and they did say that they agreed to now meet in New York. So my guess would be every week that goes by on the calendar, you're just going to keep canceling another week, so we're games five at this already. point. Five, six five games. to six games already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but th- but this 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 is what people ain't really talking about. I'm coming to your arena. I'm a ball player. That's what I do. I'm only coming to I'm only coming to your arena because you want to give me some type of nonsense that I'm supposed to. I know contracts and I know a bad one. Think about this. We most owners you don't know who they are. They're, 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 their name, their faceless. You don't know who these people are. So when people say when you know when Maverick comes out and says this, both people, it's not. You locked us out of December. You've been working on this thing that long. But the problem is the owners don't realize you have no leverage anymore. They don't want, listen, I don't want to do things that I, I, but, that I know I'm willing to do. I don't want to have to not play, but I'm willing to not play. And it's not to get my point across to show you this ain't it, man. This is not it. What y'all are trying to give these players? And, 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 that's what, and that's what I think what happens is 30 owners, right? It ain't hard to get them to be, you know, hey, man, oh, yeah, man, we in unison. How many players is it? How many different contracts is it? And I think that that's what they thought they were going to use against him. Hey, man, we got guys making third. No, no, no. Because when we come back, man, we got to make sure we can live with the decision they made. The, the National Football League signed a 10-year collective bargain agreement. They do that in, They do that nowhere. When they agree that, I'm like, what in the world is that? 10 years? They don't even make – the cars you drive, they don't even make them 10 years from now. The TVs, they don't even make 10 years. The cell phone you got, man, you've been doing it that long. So I give the players a lot of credit because I think you are realizing you are dealing with a different type of athlete now. No longer are the days to where they're just going to go and because of pressure they're going to sign it. Because once you sign it, once that ink dries, that's it. And, 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 and to those people that have never signed a bad contract, sign one. And you're going to be like, wait a minute, what, what? Listen, that little fine print. That stuff matters, man, and I just think that sometimes the, the pro sports is not about the people you know. It's about the players you do not. That is pro sports because there's way more of them than Mike Trout. And this is the thing. If they didn't put Mike Trout's name on these every time you saw him, you wouldn't know him either. So don't <laughs> act. As, so, so let's not act like if Mike Trout was walking in Atlanta on a regular day and you bump up to him on the running trail. Not me. I'm not on the running trail. But I'm just saying you'd be like, you Mike Trout. No. But when it comes to baseball, he's one of the best to ever do it, and he ain't going to sniff a World Series. Think about that. The best play- Name another sport that the best player don't make the playoffs. You can't really name another sport like that. That the best player. So that's MLB for you. But I just think that shout out to those players, man, for doing it for the players uh, who got – because like I said, some players, they need that retirement. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from a player that needs it, trust me, they need that retirement. But man. Uh, again, to catch you up, uh, Rob Manfred announces the first two series of the season uh, have been canceled. Canceled games will not be made up, and players will not be paid. So uh, already you are getting into that. So not making up games uh, leaves you even less 
optimism moving forward. That, uh, as I said, BJ, once you go down this road of, hey, maybe we can still squeeze in 162, uh, you really put the onus on the players because, as Ben has said from the beginning, and people know this, who can hold out longer, the players' union or 30 guys who are all worth billions of dollars and not having to pay anybody? I think it's the 30 guys worth billions of dollars not having to pay anybody versus the uh, the players' union, who, again, is taking care of their players. But, I mean, that's not going to replace what you were expected to be compensated for with a full Major League Baseball season. So now, if you're a player, you've now had the 2020 season shortened due to COVID. We only played 60 games, only got paid for 60 games. You've now had the 2022 season officially shortened to less than 162, and you're not going to get paid well, your full salary for that as well. And I guess what I'll ask is, what's different tomorrow? What's different Thursday? What's different Friday, Monday? Is I would like to think that this is the worst-case scenario and missing five, six games is the end-all, be-all, but do you guys expect that to be the case? I, I don't. Uh, I, I do I do expect to look right now you got more time to negotiate. You already know that you're gonna miss five or six games. Don't even that's over with. That's done with. If the owners are really serious, go back to the negotiating table because these are the same owners that wanted to bring in an arbitrator who did not want to even negotiate with the players. All of a sudden you want to negotiate with anyone to sit across from them. If the pro, if the person paying for the product to be on the on the on the on the baseball diamond don't even want to sit across from them, that's disrespectful. I mean, I don't even you don't even talk to me most of the time. But now you th- but now you thinking I'm being disgruntled because of what you giving me? No. No, no, no. But yes, Kevin, like I said, I want to know. So I guess what every time they say no, that's a five, six game increment. That's a lot of games, man. You might you might want to try to get this thing done, but the but the owner should know right now. Oh, y'all in the dog fight. Because these players, <laughs> even if they ain't want to uh, you know, dig their heels in, they have to now. Yeah. Once you start canceling games, it goes to a different level. Uh, in the negotiations. We'll come back. Uh, we've got more to come. D. Orlando Ledbetter are going to join us. We'll talk some Falcons football with him in about 20 minutes. It's three. And- Good to have you back here. Three and out. Kevin B.J. and Ben. Rob Manfred is done. Uh, said the two sides would try to meet again on Thursday. I saw some folks saying they don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but they're going to uh, meet again in New York and away from Florida. Major League Baseball Players Association has set up a site in Arizona where players are working out and is expected those numbers will grow. I think they said they had 12 to 15 guys uh, that were there. They expect more players to show up and try to keep their work in just in case a deal uh, does get done. A reminder, minor league baseball is still going on. Uh, They're in spring training, and there will be minor league baseball this year as well as uh, collegiate baseball. We live in a heck of a part of the world for collegiate baseball, just throwing that out there uh, as well. So, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what Rob Manfred has uh, has said was, look, first two series of the season are canceled. Both parties are to blame. I think uh, the owners probably did not negotiate in as much good faith as uh, the players would have uh, liked, uh, saying, hey, our fans are at the first and top of our priorities list. No, they're not, because the fans aren't in the negotiating room, right? Uh, ben, you know this, when you're working out a deal, the last thing on anybody's mind from a player and owner squabbling over their CBA is what the fans think because they're not in here. So I think that was a true. And then also, this is from Travis Salchik on uh, Twitter. Rob Manfred said, quote, the last five years have been very difficult for the league from a revenue perspective. Okay, maybe even with COVID, that was the end quote. And then uh, Travis Salchik added, during that time, MLB has totaled about $43 billion in revenue during that time. I don't know if that's considered tough where, where you're from, but it uh, doesn't sound like you're out there scraping together hundreds of millions of dollars. 
$3 billion in the last five years. I'm not very good at math, but that's what about $80 billion a year in, in revenue. That's not what the NFL's doing. Mm-hmm. I get it, but that's not bringing home, you know, picking out lint out of your pockets either. Uh, you're doing just fine. So I think that's where the distrust comes from from the fans when you hear numbers like that and you see the commissioner up there trying to paint it as though, you know, they're one week away from standing on the corner with a cup in their hand saying, can you help out Major League Baseball? Like, come on. Merchandising. What? I mean, different products being sold when it comes to these players, the popularity. The popularity of a player can boost the whole revenue of a team because, I mean, I don't even want to butcher his name. The pitcher slash Mr. Air, Mr. Wonderful for the Angels. Uh, the pitcher slash uh, Otani. Think, 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 think about that for a second. A guy that a guy that can do it all, literally, literally, right? That's gonna get people in the seats. And Kevin, something me and you saw when you talk about with the Braves. Look, look, I'm gonna say this again. Billionaires do not invest their money in things that don't make money. They don't do that. Somebody said, "Hey, man." I know you on the stock market. Listen, why don't you try to buy the Braves? Why don't you try to buy this team, that team? Why? Because you're going to make something. The Marlins still make money. Don't seem like they do. Yet, yes, they do. Because if they didn't, guess what? People wouldn't. They're not. When it comes to the, when it comes, but the thing about it is when it comes to the product on the field, the product on the field is across is across the table from these owners telling the owners that ain't going to get it. Like when people say, "Hey man, we want to try to get a hundred million," they come back and say, "We'll give you ten million. That's not negotiating. That's not negotiating at all. That's a slap in the face. I think what has happened is, just like the popularity of the game has, has grown, the popularity of these players have grown tremendously. You don't think so? So why y'all going? So why these farm sisters are the way they are? Why are we saying well, we got this kid named Ron Lacuna Jr.? And no matter who you ask, whether they play for the Braves, play against the Braves, don't watch baseball, look, this dude trying to do 40-40 in his second full year. The Braves said, man, we're going to give him 100 million. What? We got to give him something. So you willing to do that? But but God forbid he come to the table and say, "Hey man, I got to do this for every player in the league." Because collective bargaining is for all players. It's not just the one, not just the faces of the league. So I applaud the players. And if the players are at fault, the players are at fault because they know how to negotiate. That's what the owners weren't weren't banking on. Man, we got them. Why? Because the closer we get to the season, we got them. They said, "No, that's NBA. That's NFL. That ain't MLB." So I, I give the players a lot of credit because I think sometimes, you know, the only thing I ever got good at when I was a player was being a player. I never got good at off-the-field stuff. And to me, that's what that's what you're supposed to be getting better at because it's it's it's, it's listen, it's no it's no different than it's no different than before. Um uh man, I'm I'm having I'm having brain fast with all these. Oh, uh old boy that plays um for the Clippers right now. Got the, got the braids in his hair. Clippers. Uh he's hurt. Kawhi? Kawhi. I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm having a brain fast. I'm trying to before Kawhi, nobody thought that you can challenge trainers on a, on your current team by telling them I got my own. Listen, I went and got my own. Uh, you know, people to look at look, look at my injury and I ain't doing it. Now other players doing it. I don't trust y'all. Why? Because y'all job is to get me back on the court. Y'all are affiliated with this team. Now you know what players are doing. Players are saying, "Hey, listen, man. <clears throat> you know what? You know what owners got? What they got? They got lawyers on retainer." You can get a lawyer to tell you this is what a good deal looks like. This is what the owners are gonna do. Why? Because I used to work with them. This is what they're gonna try to do, you guys. Unless you hit the number that you want, BJ, I can use you. I, when you got when you got your when you got your new car, you walk there and say there is a number. I I don't care what that car says out there. There's a number that I'm willing to pay, and if you can't get that win, that's what negotiations are. You got to hit a certain number. 
Problem is, you're doing a favor for playing the league. So I am I am very, 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 very impressed with these players. Other leagues, <coughs> NFL, y'all need to call the MLB brothers and tell them, hey, what y'all do? We play hardball. We didn't sign a 30-year collective bargain agreement. Because so these owners, they gave us 10 years? So I, I, I give him a lot of credit. Listen, Manfred going to say what he's supposed to say because obviously he has vested interest with the owners to go out there and say that. But the owners were disrespectful. The owners had since December to get it done. Couldn't get it done. Now, now, now they're real. Because, Kevin, you said it. The 30 owners, got, they, can, they can stand and not you know, lose games, but they don't want to do that because they check the books every day. Not just not just during games. I mean, what did we do today? We ain't no game right now, sir. I want to see how much money we spent today, how much money we made. You don't become a millionaire paying a bunch of money. You're very, very, very frugal, a.k.a. stingy as hell. <laughs> so I just, I just think that I'm, I'm proud of the players. I hope it don't go too far, but, I mean, then again, I'm, I mean, I'm not a current player, man, trying to negotiate not just for me currently, but the future players and our previous players. A lot of this uh, going to be coming in the, uh, the coming days, weeks, and see if these two sides can get together. But for right now, it feels like the players very bitter at the owners, and the owners really don't care. We've got uh, a lot more to come. D. Orlando, when we come back, we're talking Falcons football ahead of the, uh, the draft combine. He had a chance to sit down with Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, where their heads heading towards the draft. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out. And, Ben, we've just been talking about a sport that can't get their act together and uh, figuring out when, if, they want to play to a sport that's rocking and rolling along, getting ready for the draft combine. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Falcons, joins us here on 3 and Out. Daryl, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. DJ, Ben, and Kevin, thanks for having me on the show today. Hey, we appreciate you joining us. And, uh, again, the Falcons getting ready for the uh, the draft combine. You had a chance to hear from uh, Arthur Smith and, uh, and and Terry Fontenot. A lot of interesting stuff they discussed. Uh, they said, hey, they were going to be kind of – very choosy in, in free agency. What does that tell you about maybe their strategy here uh, with free agency and the draft vis-a-vis kind of what they're looking for if they're going to have to be kind of price conscious in free agency? Yeah, I think you're going to, um, you know, uh, look at players that got cut by other teams that, um, you know, may overvalue uh, themselves and, uh, you know, may be available. They pointed out last year that, they got Corderell a month into free agency because, you know, the offers didn't come through for the four-time pro bowler. And, um, you know, uh, that might be the case again this year. You know, Fourier might think he's getting a big deal, but they might not have enough money for him. So, you know, they're going to let the market determine uh, where they go because they they can't go where they want to go because uh, they don't have any money. Are there any players in particular the Falcons are interested to see uh, and, and, and talk to at the Combine? Oh, yeah, no question about it. They talked to the quarterbacks last night. Uh, you know, so that group would include, you know, Matt Corral, uh, uh, Desmond Ritter, uh, uh, Kenny Pickett, and uh, Sam Howell, or, or, uh, and Malik, of course, uh, Malik Willis. So, you know, they're doing their um, due diligence, you know, um, they probably don't want to draft one of these kids at number eight. They're going to take the best player available, but um, they're going to have a succession playing at quarterback. But I don't see it happening until next year or even down the road. Just looking at it, it's, there's no way to get out of the situation they're in without uh, extending Matt's contract. Grady Jarrett's at $23 million. Uh, Jake Matthews, you're going to convert some of that to roster bonus. Deion Jones at 20. I don't know if he's a cat, uh, casualty or you uh, rework his deal. But, you know, he mentioned those four contracts. So those are that's where we're going to start at and, and moving forward here. 
2021, in order to be able to sign the entire rookie class, had to obviously get rid of uh, Julio Jones' contract. You mentioned those four guys a minute ago, there. I mean, who's who's going to be a person they're going to have to go ahead do something with that contract to, to be able to generate some funds? Because right now, you know, how are you even looking to be able to sign this 2021 draft class, 2022? Well, yeah, I wouldn't even worry about the draft class right now because free agency is going to come first. And um, there's $7 million over the cap. And so, uh, you know, you got to get under first, and then you got to get under some more to, uh, you know, uh, sign uh, Patterson, Fourier, the kicker, uh, long snapper, and maybe Gage. And then after that, you got to maybe spend some money and go find a, a, a lineman or two or edge rusher or something, uh, you know, or just bring back Fabian Monroe until you draft a corner or something. But nothing real sexy about this offseason for the Falcons, other than they got the eighth pick. And, uh, you know, they might get a compensation pick here this week, probably a six-round pick for Alex Mack. Uh, you know, it's all about the draft and building through the draft right now. You, you free agency's not a real option for you. The Orlando Ledbetter joining us here from the uh, AJC.com. And, and Daryl saw some interesting comments from uh, – from both guys uh, with the Falcons today and say, hey, we love Matt Ryan. We like Matt Ryan a lot. We love what he's meant to our organization. That being said, we've, we've already interviewed some quarterbacks out there. How serious are the Falcons on getting a quarterback here potentially uh, in draft in this draft vis-a-vis their, their comments about how awesome and how much they love Matt Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I don't believe this is the draft to get a quarterback. Um you know, neither one of these guys, unless they, you know, uh, they see something that we don't see. You know, maybe they think Kenny Pickett's a good uh, guy to understudy under Matt Ryan. You know, uh, Carolina's going to have the first pick at a quarterback at six. So, um, I don't I, – I, I see them staying with Ryan. They're just blowing a bunch of smoke. Let's on a coach call and give you two first rounds for Matt and, and Carson Wentz or something crazy like that. Maybe you take it, but other than that, uh, you move forward with Matt Ryan. Best case scenario, I, I, what 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 would be the best option for Atlanta at eight? I mean, I know it's hard to plan with so many picks in front of you, but if Atlanta has a realistic big board, I mean, I don't think Evan Neal's going to be there, but uh, what would be kind of the realistic best pick for Atlanta at eight? Yeah, I um I like Charles Cross. Um, as my most realistic guy that's going to be there at eight, you know, I had a story on the five best options for the Falcons, and he was in that group. Uh, that group also included uh, Kyle Hamilton, the uh, free safety from uh, Notre Dame, uh, Drake London, the wideout from USC, and, you know, the uh, edge rusher, Kevon Thibodeau um, from Oregon. He's slipping. He might slip to you at eight. And, uh, you know, I'm just pulling it up right here. There's Hamilton, Thibodeau, um, uh, Drake London, said him, wide receiver, Charles Cross. And lastly, Derek Stingley, the the cornerback from LSU, um, got a lot of upside, looked great covering Jamar Chase in practice in 2019, but um, hasn't done much since. So, and he's got a Liz Frank injury, so I'll probably stay away from him and throw in Ahmad Sauce Gardner as a possibility. Whatever they do, they got to get the best player because they're going to help them because uh, they need help all the way across the board. 
I mean, Dale, speaking of needing help, I mean, what 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 are the Falcons gonna do about Calvin Ridley? Obviously, he missed the entire most of the year last year. I mean, dealing with, you know, uh, his mental health away from football. Obviously, they don't know what they're not probably not gonna bring him back because I mean they don't know how certain he's gonna be that he wants to play football. How much does that affect what the Falcons do? Maybe not in the draft, uh, with their number one overall pick, but uh what how do they address that situation free agency, especially with them not having a number one receiver right now? Yeah, they gotta find a place where uh, they'll take them. Uh, uh, you know, they they um, uh, you know reading between the lines because nobody wants to touch this issue because it's you know a mental wellness issue. Um, but reading between the lines, you could see where he um, gets traded. You know, New England is uh, you know all the New England reporters want all the background on them, so uh, they need receivers up there. Uh, possibly that's a good place for them. I don't know. Um, and, and then you get $11 million in the salary cap. But you got to look at the receiver position anyway because Russell Gage was your best receiver, and he's arguably a slot receiver for on a good team, you know. So uh, whether you Calvin comes back or not, you still going to need some receivers. So uh, the receiver group is deep. You can find some. Uh, George Pickens is going to be there probably in the second round when they pick. Maybe not in the third, but uh, they're going to be some receivers uh, throughout the draft. And they said they're all kind of uh, different flavors at that position. And everybody's looking for the next Debo Samuel. In terms of what the Falcons hope to do with this draft, do they feel like this is a draft where they could get multiple starters, not only at eight, but potentially in the second and third round as well? I don't think it's uh, that deep of a draft, but they definitely can get some players. I mean, they 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 um yeah, they definitely got a hit in the first. Uh, they didn't hit in the second last year with Richie Grant, who was basically a nickelback and special teamers. Uh, they Jalen Mayfield started, but I mean, you know, he wasn't that good. He had a forty grade. So, I mean, uh, if you're getting rookie starters, it usually means you're getting beat up a lot. So. Uh, uh, but they might be at a point where some of these rookies got to come in and play and contribute. Like Artie Agundaje played all them snaps last year, didn't do nothing, though. So, you know, hopefully uh, he makes a big jump in the second year. But, uh, uh, you know, you, when you're in a space where you're counting on rookies, you know, uh, to come in and start and make your team better, that means your team's not very good. And, Daryl, I mean, when you think about this entire division as a whole, with, this, with the Falcons obviously having the best quarterback uh, still left in the division, no Drew Brees, uh, you know, with uh, New Orleans, no no uh, Tom Brady with Tampa Bay. If they can find a way to get some help from Matt Ryan and keep him upright, find a way to – I know I'm saying this, find a way to get a consistent pass rush with this defense. Could we be – could could, could – I mean, could they uh, have a chance to kind of compete for this division next year? Oh, yeah, no doubt. What they need is the football guys to wave a magic wand on all the meds rushers and turn one of them into Shaquille Barrett. You know, he was a guy that didn't do much and got to Tampa, and all of a sudden he's getting 15 sacks. You know, somehow I figure out, I mean, just teach the guys the hose, you know, up front. You know, don't let the guys just run past you. Tackle them. Just take the penalty. I mean, you know, they ain't got to – you know, do much, but, um, you know, they're letting guys run by and stuff. So do something up front. They give me some fight up front on both sides of the ball, and, yeah, you got a shot because uh, the NFC South is uh, trending downward, and the Falcons are uh, the only one with a legit quarterback if you can keep him alive. Yeah, that's probably the big uh, big key. And when you talk about the Falcons, weapons-wise, 
Uh, Daryl, I know we asked you, I don't know, maybe a month or two back, uh, what's the latest with Calvin Ridley, and what do you think the Falcons' plan is to uh, to address that? Do they expect him back, or are they making plans to get somebody else to be that number one receiver? Yeah, no doubt. I think they are. Um, and, you know, based on what the, the coach and the drill manager today wouldn't touch it, um, I did talk with Arthur Blank um, one-on-one at the uh, Super Bowl, and he took Gus Calvin's traumas. And, uh, you know, that, you know, might actually be best for him to get a new, uh, you know, uh, new start, fresh start somewhere else. So I'm not factoring him in, but you got to kind of um, uh, think if you get a one, you know, if you trade him, you don't want another another player coming back. You want uh, you want draft picks coming back so you get rid of the salary. And so, um, you know, the number one draft pick, that's why the Drake London kid makes sense at, at eight. But, um, you know, you, it's going to be receivers throughout the draft. So you might, you know, go Thibodeau or uh, Karloftis, a DN edge rusher up there. That might be a little high for Karloftis. But Charles Cross, he can come in, play some left tackle at home at Mississippi State. Now I would I would let him compete with Jake for left tackle and the loser goes to right because you got to get Caleb McGarry off the football field. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on Three and Out, Daryl. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much. Sure, no problem. BJ, Ben, and Kevin, you guys take care and keep up the great work. We'll do. Thanks so much, D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on Three and Out. Always appreciate. Uh, Daryl is honestly breaking down the Falcons roster, man, about where they uh, where they're deficient. They got, got to get Caleb McGarry off the field. I think there was a lot of people <laughs> saying that last year that were Falcons fans. Listen, man, uh, Daryl he gonna keep it a buck, and uh, that's <laughs> he don't pull no punches. But look, he understands football. I think Calvin really is gonna be the biggest curious case because he got a contract that's that's, that's expiring. You can't get nobody to trade for him. You're gonna have to be able to keep uh you know Matt, Matt Ryan upright with him being uh, the best quarterback in that division. But once again, no pass rush. No, no, it's because Dante Fowler has moved on. What do you do with you know? What do you do with Grady Jerry contract? What do you do with Deion Jones? I mean, contract Debo's contract. It's going to be a lot of decisions being made because right now you have zero dollars to pay no free agent when free agency happens before the draft. Terry Fontenot, I don't know if you, I don't know if you need to go back to New Orleans to get you some magic wand stuff, but you're gonna have to do something because you're gonna have to get some guys there to help a team that should be uh, competing next year uh, in the NFC South. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben on this Tuesday. Major League Baseball has said they're going to cancel the first two series of the season after uh, no deal. Rob Manfred seems happy about it. Yeah, Rob Manfred's out there smiling. He's showing off the chicklets. We're canceling games. (laughs) That's that's what the owners hate. Why? You know what? We got to do that right away. He got to go out there and talk. Go up there and say the games are canceled. Do not smile. Do not laugh. Look down at you. Read your hand. We know you're a clown, but don't smile. Read your hand. Your hand says, yeah. don't laugh. Don't smile. He said, I thought y'all told me to do the opposite. Just not no more a good questions. day for baseball. No, it's not. A lot of people are mad, too. I mean, obviously fans are mad. Uh, players are mad. Owners are, well, counting their billions still. And uh, we'll see how long this thing goes. We'll see how long this thing goes. Apparently scheduled to meet in New York moving forward, uh, I guess, on Thursday. And we'll see. There's some... Uh, talk that maybe that's not optimistic, that that's even going to happen. So a, uh, a bad day for baseball, but there's basketball coming up. we got the Hawks and Celtics tonight uh, in Savannah. we got uh, Georgia and Tennessee. Could this be the last home game of the Tom Crean era? we got the last home game of the 
Coach K era could have the last home game of the Tom Crean era. We'll see you tomorrow, Wednesday edition. Three and out. Southern Pigskin.